Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at This, to me, is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story slowly gets Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind-boggling. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, guys. Yeah, man, it's been a couple of weeks. It's good to have you back, Rob. Thank Did you. Did you have any dogman encounters? No, I didn't get out into the, the into the wilderness a whole lot. I wanted to do a lot more outdoorsy stuff, but of course, the one week that we go up to visit Michigan, the temperature drops like twenty degrees and is in the sixties. And eh, what are you gonna do? Well, we promised dogman encounters. <laughs> yeah, so. what you were supposed to say was, "Yeah, man, I got in the woods with my dad. We were hunting, and we saw the dogman out there." And- well, I, I live in a really small town in the middle of the woods. There's a lot of dogmanish looking folks, dogmanish <laughs> around. Hills have eyes, kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Surfiel, good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. Surfiel's been doing double duty as as producer and co-host. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be relieved of that. <laughs> yeah, we got to hear a little bit of the Valley of the Tiki Beats. Everybody got to hear that. Yeah, so. you guys check it out, tikibeats.com. Yep, we'll do a leather plug for it at the end of the show. But guys, um, I'm real happy to start off with this guest tonight because. When I was, it was around 2005, and I was listening to Coast to Coast, and I heard these two guys from Detroit, Michigan, that were, got to be on with George Norrie, and they had a show called Ghostly Talk. And at the time, I was looking for kind of alternatives, free alternatives to Coast and Coast, because I didn't want to pay for it. I later ended up paying for it, and I found these guys. 
and the guys were named Scott and Doug, and we have one of those guys here, Scott L., from Ghostly Talk, which has started up again. Scott, welcome to Conspiracy Normal, man. Thank you for having me, guys. It's really cool to be here, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I uh, wanted to have me and talk. It's an honor. Thank you. Yeah, well, you're you're partly responsible for this, just to let you oh, know. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, you are, really, because uh, there, there would be you and World of the Unexplained and another show called Future Quake. Which is kind of okay. like all in Conspiranormal's DNA. Uh, you, I mean, you were one of the first, I mean, you guys literally were the, I don't think the word podcast was even around at it that wasn't. time. You know, like, <laughs> it I, 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 I just, now. yeah, I just kind of called it an internet radio show then at that point. Well, that's what it was, man. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, and it's funny you mentioned like coast to coast. Um, one of the one of the wrong like one of the things that me and Doug always said we we laughed about back in the day when we started up was um, back when it was you know the Art Bell show he used to have his archives on his site for free oh that was and this awesome is like you know, and this is like you know like we're talking like you know you know ninety nine two thousand around there yeah and um, I used to love on Sundays to spend three hours downloading <laughs> an episode of the Art Bell show on my fifty six k modem. Um, to listen to the show. And I would just wow. lay on my bed and just listen to Art Bell. It was awesome. I mean, we were fans way before that, too. Uh, but with the digital age, it was like, oh, we can download on our computers and listen now. It's super cool. And then, you know, we always say the reason that we started up Ghostly Talk is because Art Bell started charging for his archives. And we're like, well, we got to start, start doing something free now because he was, he was free, but not, he's not free anymore. So we, we say that's partly one of the reasons that we started doing Ghostly Talk is we we did what I do. Well, we're obviously passionate about the subject and about the field in general and all of its forms. Um, but our big thing was we wanted to just have a free thing out there for people to listen to, you know? Um, and you know, that's what we did. We, and it's always been free. It still is free in its current form that it's in now. Um, and we don't ever really, even when, when we decided to fold it up, like we, what we call, what we call now project two, uh, back mm-hmm. then, um, when Doug and I decide, well, when I decide, <laughs> we talked about that before the show for a few minutes. Uh, but when the show did end in 2008, in that incarnation, Doug and I both agreed, like, okay, no matter what happens here, we're always going to be friends, which is true to this day. We're very dear friends still. Uh, and number two is that these archives of the work we did over the last eight years or whatever, or seven years, whatever it was, um, is always going to be available for people to listen to for free or download for free. And we put the, we put aside you know a pile of money for that just to keep paying for the server every month you know um, and we did that and we still were doing that up and you know up, of course up until the last couple of years we've been doing the show again uh, in its current incarnation so yeah it's funny it was kind of you know while ghostly talk maybe running through the DNA of your show mm-hmm. Art Bell was you know running may have been the dna for our show when we started out back in the day so you know it's you're you always have to be inspired by something i think uh and we were definitely inspired by art bell back then he was like our elvis man and he still is to me i love Art bell i mean rest in peace to the man he just passed away recently and that was a real real sad shitty day bad day for all of us sorry guys i didn't mean to curse (laughs) no no that's fine yeah that was that was a bad day because i mean really for all of us i think that art bell definitely was the king of this of this stuff like he made that whole paranormal 
slash conspiracy theory, even slash stuff like true crime, that, that whole genre. I mean, he really, you know, kind of single-handedly made that and inspired yeah. a whole, uh, and inspired a whole bunch of people as, you know, technology became more and more cheap. People began to put out their own, their own material, which is what you guys did. I think you got started in what, actually, I think you got started what, 2002, if I'm not well, it was, was like late correct? 2001, early two, really early 2002. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the technology was kind of there, but it kind of wasn't. Um, Doug was, was a big brain behind that. Um, you know, we both worked together, but Doug uh, taught me a lot of the stuff that I know in my professional life now. He taught me a lot of stuff. He's still a mentor to me. And um, back in those days, really, it was there was a lot of improvising and having to be kind of innovative uh, to do this sort of thing. Cause we, we wanted, we were like, okay, we want to do a show. And I, I can tell you that it was great. I, I remember we, me and Doug love talking about it because we were both standing in a parking lot of this bar called sneakers. That's in this city. Well, it's not even a city. It's a little town called new Haven, Michigan. It's about maybe 30, 40 miles North of where I live uh, now. And um, we were out there in like 20 degree weather. It was cold. We were out ghost hunting for some reason in, in the dead of winter. We just loved going out and doing that sort of thing. <laughs> and Doug was the one that said, Hey, I got this really interesting idea. Um, I want to do like this weekly, like radio show, but not on the radio, like, you know, on the internet. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, wow, that's like really cool. That's a, that's an interesting idea. Um, you know, and we both knew that, you know, we both listened to our bell, so we knew it could be done. Right. Um, so we, you know, we, after that, it was like, let's do this thing. And we kind of had to figure out, well, well, how do people do radio? We'd never did radio before either of us. We, we'd never really uh, had any experience in it. So we just kind of set up like this little makeshift setup in Doug's basement where we, you know, we, he, we set up this shoutcast server. Um, and we just took like an old, like, like one of them coffee table type things, like a dinner tray table thing you'd have, you know, if you're watching TV and wanted to have a bite to eat. And we took a computer monitor and set that on there and then took these little crappy mic stands. We got a radio shack <laughs> just to kind of get it a level to our mouths. Cause we're like, well, you have to have the microphone by your mouth. You know, that's, that's like the radio thing. You have to be disciplined. You have to sit up and you know, you have to have the, the mic right there. Um, so we kind of set up this like, rickety setup with this little four channel mixer we got from radio shack. And that was like our little, our little studio starting out. Um, and it was just going along with that, trying to figure out like when the big thing we decided we wanted to try to like have a, an interview with somebody on the show, like where we had a telephone, like on the telephone, like you hear on every radio show, even back then. Right. Um, and we're like, well, how do we do this? We don't, how do we, how do we have a, a, a channel come through that you hear the person on the phone and you hear us and it's like a, like a conversation and it actually makes sense on a technical level. Right. Yeah. Cause I don't um, think Skype was even around at that point. It wasn't. Yeah. And what we figured out back then was we took an old office phone from one, the office Doug worked at. It was an old beat up office phone with a speaker phone on it. Right. And we oh. mic'd that with another microphone we ran to a channel. <laughs> nice. And then we basically took um, uh, one of them, like one of them little, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, plastic clips, you know, you clip on something, you know, you can clip it to anything. And we clipped down the actual receiver thing where you would, where you'd hang the phone up, you know? Um, so that phone, the phone would think it was on speakerphone then. 
right? So the speakerphone is talking to the microphone, which is going through our channel, and we can hear it through the, you know, through our headphones, and the person can hear us on the speakerphone, and it all just seemed to work. <laughs> it just, it just worked, you know. So we did that for a long time, and that, yeah, it was before Skype, it was before. Uh, any of that stuff. And we just had a lot of fun playing around down there and being, being, you know, being nerds, uh, trying to do this little, little internet radio show that we were doing about, you know, subjects that we thought were really interesting and about our adventures going out and ghost hunting together and stuff like that. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, how we got, we got going was just trying to figure out ways to make this thing work and make it sound like a radio show, you know, which I, I don't know. Maybe we did it. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. It was fun. I don't care. <laughs> What, who, how did the name Ghostly Talk come about? Like, what was that? Uh, who came up with the name? That was Doug's name, um, and Doug Doug's idea about it when he when he when he said when he said the name to me, he's like, well, he's like, it's mostly talk, you know, mostly talk. Uh, we're just talking about stuff, but we're talking about ghosts generally. So, ghostly talk, simple as that. that that's all Doug's philosophy and idea about the name was, and that that. Surely was Doug's name. He thought that whole thing up. It was Doug's name. How'd you get into uh, ghost hunting, Scott? Like, how did that start for you, man? For me, it started, you know, and I don't use that as a tagline you hear from a lot of people these days. Um, I don't have 30 years or 40 years of experience in the paranormal, okay? <laughs> I, I started out um, when I was very young. I was really interested in ghost stories. I remember being in elementary school and our librarian in my elementary school would, uh, would have our, our library hour every day. And she'd every, like once a week we'd get the, she would tell ghosts, like, you know, get a book out from the library and read ghost stories to us. Right. And, um, I thought those were really cool. So I would check out ghost, you know, ghost story books. And I talk, I talked about that years ago on ghostly talk where my first ghost book I bought was uh, haunted houses by Larry Kettlecamp which is still my all-time favorite, like, ghost story book. It's about maybe 60 or 70 pages long. It's just a little book. You know, and Larry Kettlecamp was not, like, a, a ghost researcher guy. He was a guy who wrote books about cooking and, and woodworking also, and I guess he was inspired by some really interesting ghost stories that he heard, that he researched, and he wrote this little book. But yeah. the book was really cool because it didn't only get into, like, just telling, like, like ghost stories like the Tower of London and stuff like that. Yeah, stories from there. He also, towards the end of the book, got into like, you know, the theory of dimensions and the idea like how, how maybe ghosts appear is maybe they're from a different dimension. And maybe there's, you know, like Samhain, uh, Halloween, the idea is that the veil between, you know, the, our physical reality and the spirit realm, the, that veil between them, and it's all theoretical. We're talking here, by the way, too, maybe that, that, that veils its thinnest, and that's why we may see ghosts and stuff like that. So Larry Kellcamp and that little book kind of got into those ideas, and I found it fascinating, man. I was just blown away by it. And I remember my, some of the best um, memories I have with my grandmother, my, my dad's mom, was sitting with her in, a, in the living room of her, you know, her, and my, her and my grandpa's house in Tennessee, just talking right to my on. grandma about, about this. Man, my grandma... Uh, even to her dying day, she was a very progressive lady. She was a, a classic Southern belle, you know, but she was really open to cool ideas. So I felt really, you know, talking with her, I, I became really comfortable talking with her about these things. So we'd sit in that living room and talk about 
you know, dimensions and ghosts and, you know, weird things like that. So, you know, that really, to me, is what lit the spark in me, um, you know, to be, you know, to become really interested and passionate about this. You know, but the thing about that, too, was, um, you know, for, you know, I grew up, um, it was, you know, I, I went to college, you know, I, I figured out what I wanted to do in my life to a certain degree. And I remember um, w- when I graduated college, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm done with, I'm done with college now. Um, and I have a job and I, you know, I have an apartment and a little car. And I thought at that time that was, you know, that was it. <laughs> that's, that's to a certain degree. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm all grown up. I have to find something else to do now because I have this, this surplus of time because I'm not studying all the time in, in school. Right. So that's when I started, um, going on the internet, um, and just like looking, you know, reading ghost stories. And then I found out there was people that actually went out and, and went out to places like cemeteries and, and, and houses and buildings that were reported to be haunted and actually went out there with cameras and cassette recorders and tried to get evidence of this stuff, which that was like, to me was like, holy crap. Wow. Really? So that's when I started like getting onto the Yahoo chat if you remember those things, that's how long, long ago this was. Yeah. Um, I was joining Yahoo groups and talking to people about this. And that's how Doug and I met was through a Yahoo chat group. Um, and we all, we all talked on there and we all said, Hey, let's, let's all meet up one night. Cause we were all local to each other. Right. Like let, let's all meet up and go out and do a ghost hunt. Right. Um, so that's really what kind of kicked it in for me was just kind of, you know, reigniting that spark again after a handful of years and then going full bore into it. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I, like I said, I wasn't some like hardcore researcher when I was like nine years old. I had an interest in this and I grew up around it. Um, and I just found these stories to be, you know, especially ghost stories growing up to be really, really interesting. Um, and I was lucky enough to get involved with a group of people and go out and, and do my own work on this stuff for, for a number of years. So that's kind of how we got started. You know, Doug, you know, you know, and, you know, Doug don't have the same story I have. That's just my story with how I kind of started studying this stuff. When you first started ghostly talk, uh, how did you get in touch with people to come on and be guests? Like what was the, did you have a particular pitch to give them or was it more, oh. Because, you know, I, I, this is going to lead yeah. to the next question, but, you know, this, yeah, is, no this is pre-TAPS. <laughs> yeah. This is pre-Ghost Hunters. Well, you know? okay, yeah. yeah. Well, back in, much like much like we were talking before the show, much like we do the show today, um, back in those days, a lot of times there were people that we just happened to, we, we knew, you know, people that we worked with or people that were part of another ghost hunting group that we may have known another club that was put together here in Michigan. Um, you know, and we started that way. We were like, okay, um, let's just talk to these people. And we had some really great conversations. We had a lot of great conversations with people of that sort. And then from there, you know, we just, we, somebody read, you know, Doug may have read a book or I may have read a book and we, we said, Hey, this person's real. This, what they talked about was really interesting in this book let's try to reach out to him and see what happens. I mean, who, what's, what do we have to lose here? Let's just see, you know, what happens. So we started re- reaching out to some of these people and they were nice enough. That, oh, I'd love to talk to you guys. Super cool. You know? So it was really a matter of just, you know, just 
close your eyes and send an email or, or find a phone number from somebody and give them a call. And I don't really ever remember anybody, um, you know, even when we were starting out saying, no, I don't want to come on your show. I mean, we were very lucky and we still are, um, that we're able to talk to everybody we want to talk to. And, you know, throughout our second, what I, what I referred to earlier as project two, um, we were really kind of taken aback by <laughs> some of the people that were really happy and excited to come and talk to us on our little show. Um, you know, and we're still kind of blown away by some of the, the some of the really amazing people we had uh, the opportunity to talk to and still do to this day. Um, it, but it really, it was just a matter of just reaching out to people and, you know, people, I think people, you know, there's, if there's one thing I think that's positive, that's a positive output of the internet and social media today, especially is it, it I think it does make people more accessible, you know, um, I think it makes them easier to talk to and, and reach out to. Uh, I think that's a positive output of what we have, you know, with the, with the digital, you know, the, the, the super, at one time it was the information superhighway. That was the big name back in the day. Um, we were able to get a hold of people like that and they were always very nice to come and talk to us. So really it was just a matter of just reaching out to people and saying, Hey, would you want to come chat with us? (laughs) And it it really was quite simple. It wasn't anything really profound. Yeah. A lot of the, uh, it was a lot of the guests that you guys had on the show that, you know, took me down the, down a lot of rabbit holes. Um, yeah, it's because of you guys primarily that I became like a nine 11 truther guy. Because I had, <laughs> I, it, because you guys had on like this. This was probably two thousand five or maybe two thousand six. You guys had on the guys for that did uh, was that loose change nine eleven. Yeah, and I had <laughs> never at that time thought about it in that way or even considered it. And I started looking into that, and yeah. so you know there was a lot of stuff that you guys uh, turned me on to. You know, mm-hmm. uh, how did things change for you guys after kind of like Ghost Hunters came on? Did it get? Oh, I mean, were, <laughs> did it get crazier for you? Did things? I mean, did you start to see things differently? Like what? Well, I mean, I we I'll I'll be totally blunt by saying that it changed things a lot. I think. Yeah. You know, you mentioned like the loose change guys. Um, the thing that we when we started going getting into into the real thick of doing the show, we started having people on the show and. You know, I think the real thing about being a decent broadcaster and, you know, look, to this day, I'm at best still an amateur broadcaster. Um, But I think I picked a few things up. I've learned a few things. And the simple fact is not everybody we had on the show, we agreed with everything they had to say. Right. In fact, some of the people we had on the show, in fact, some of the people on the show, we flat out didn't agree with them. (laughs) Um, However, we thought they had interesting things to talk about and we thought people should hear it. Right. Um, you know, something like, like, like the loose change nine eleven guys, I mean, they sat there and explained to us why this whole thing was an inside job. Right. And that's all I'm going to, that's all I'm going to go into. But I mean, I don't know if we necessarily, I mean, I can't speak for Doug either. Um, but I know there's people that don't agree with that. I know there's people that that's, they totally agree with that, but we, we thought it was interesting to have them on and talk to them. Right. So as time went on, uh, doing the show, what I wanted to start doing with it more was get into different types of subjects. The problem we had back then, I'll be totally blunt about this is that when the ghost hunters thing happened and that, you know, that was like, I don't know, it was 2003, something like that. Um, 
we have a very a sideline, very quick sideline. We have a very funny history with Jason and Grant because when Ghostly Talk was, when we were, we were still like, you know, 2002, 2003, we were, we were just, get, we were getting the show going. We were kind of got our gal up going with the show. And one day Doug called me and said, Hey man, our website crashed. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what happened? So we both, and this is before we even really had, we had, we had our domain, ghostlytalk.com, uh-huh. but we were still doing it on, if you, if you guys are ready for this, GeoCities. If you remember <laughs> GeoCities back then, right? <laughs> okay. we had Back in the good old days. Site. So we had our little GeoCities site that we, that, we, that we mapped our, you know, our domain to. So you, know, you only had a limited amount of bandwidth on that. You only had a limited amount of space you could use. Um, so Doug's like, well, the site crashed. I'm like, what the hell? So we, we looked it up, we, we started looking at the logs, and we see all these, you know, link twos coming from the AtlanticParanormalSociety.com, just one after another. Uh, so we, of course, you know, we, we sleuthed that out, go to their site, and sure enough, on their front page, they said, hey, we found this really cool uh, internet radio show that these two guys from Michigan are doing, uh, Doug and Scott L. You guys should check them out. And they all, at that time, they, they had a huge, you know, fan base already before the show came out. And so we got hammered by their, by all their fans and they brought our site down. So of course we reached out to them and said, Hey guys, thanks for killing our website. You know, that's good <laughs> um, and we became really good friends with those guys. Yeah. That's, that's how we, we kind of met those guys on a formal basis. Um, so going back to what you were saying though. Okay. So, you know, ghost hunter starts up and I found, you know, after a, I'm trying to be as eloquent as I can about this, and it's probably going to be impossible. We got really tired really fast, um, of, and, we, and we smoked it out pretty quick, too, that there was just a lot of people that were reaching out to us that had like a ghost hunting group, right, which I think is a fantastic thing to this day. People should be doing stuff like that. Get together, follow your passion, study this stuff, get out there and do something. You could be the people that find out how this stuff actually works. You oh, never yeah. know. But that stuff blew um, up after taps came out. It blew yeah, up. Yeah. So w- what was happening was it just seemed like we were just getting a lot of people that just wanted to come on and listen to themselves talk for an hour. Right. And there, and there wasn't, unfortunately there was, just wasn't, we, we, <laughs> dare I say we had some people that came on the show back then where I, I was sweating <laughs> to try to like keep the show going because <laughs> it was like, Hey, so I looked at, I looked at all your stuff. Um, and so let's talk about this thing that you guys did and you no, know, the art of the interview. I mean, you guys know it as well as anybody. Yeah. Um, so, Hey, here's what we read up on this thing and we did our research. So tell us all about this thing. And literally some of these people just never, they didn't really have any experience doing radio. And I understand that. Right. But it was like, that was really cool. And then we'd have like 30 seconds of silence and we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pardon my French, but, you know, we really had to work hard to get those in. So the point is, is that, okay, we're like, all right, well, some of these, you know, a lot of the ghost hunting groups, it's just there were so many of them that were popping up all over the place in Michigan, all over the country. It seemed to us that, oh, man, you know, maybe we should really start you know, looking towards different subjects um, and, and look for people that, you know, have really dove into these interesting subjects, like spontaneous human combustion, for example, like Larry Arnold. Um, I spent a long time trying to, you know, reach out to him and get him on the show. But we, our idea after a while was let's just kind of spread our wings here and talk about 
much like Art Bell, right? right. Um, right. Talk about anything that really interests us that's kind of weird, you know? Um, and that was more interesting to us. I mean, I love ghost stories. I love uh, ghosts and entities as far as the study and the paranormal is concerned. But when you have um, literally uh, an army of people now that all want to have their own TV show, let's just say where it, say it for where it is, right? Um, That's where it, it was got, going. Yeah. yeah, it got very cumbersome. Right. <laughs> it got cumbersome after a while, um, and it, you could t- we could tell that. Okay, these people literally are just doing a, they're just doing a radio tour, you know, they're just doing a radio tour type thing, trying to get on as many little shows as they can to bolster up their resume um, to try to get their own TV pilot or something, I guess, right? Um, and I know that sounds mean, and I, and I don't want to come across like, you know. But I think it was true, like though, Scott. I think it was true. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Um, so that's kind of where we, we changed our, we changed it. We, re, we retooled our, our game and said, let's talk to people that we find interesting. Right. Um, and we, and we had to, you know, we had to up our game. We had to study harder. We had to spend more time researching things. Um, Cause we really wanted to make sure the people that came on the show were people that we were going to have a really interesting conversation with. Um, not because, it was going to make us, you know, filthy rich <laughs> or anything like that. We've never, ever, ever made a dime on this show. We've always been broke. <laughs> we never, it's always been just a hobby for us, right? Uh, but we wanted the output to be high quality and interesting for people to, to enjoy and learn something from. So that was the big change we saw that happened with, with ghost hunters, you know, and for, for better or for worse. It doesn't mean it was a bad thing necessarily. It's just something that didn't work for us when we were trying to do our little show back then. So, yeah. and I remember as a li- as a listener, I remember, you know, oh, they're they're talking to another ghost hunting group. What what are they going to say that's different than all the other ghost hunting groups? Yeah, there were yeah. some that were compelling, you know. There were some that were interesting. But when yeah. you when you started to retool it into the way that well we're going to talk about let's talk about different kinds of subjects, that's when yeah. I started. I mean, I, I really started to really appreciate that about the show. And uh, again, you know, that's kind of my model for Conspiranormal has kind of been the same way, where it's been let's talk about different subjects. When we mm-hmm. first started, I was real heavy on the paranormal stuff. Uh, a yeah. lot of a lot of ghost stuff. I really wasn't interested in talking to ghost hunters. Um, I've had the grand total of one ghost hunting group on the show, uh, yeah. but you know, I was more interested in guys that you introduced me to, like Stephen Lachance, Tim Yancey, those uh, yeah. Bill Bean, those guys that had these like, these these really extreme haunting experiences, mm-hmm. and so that was more interesting to me. But as time went on, it's just like, how much more can you really talk about this? And to, to yeah, kind of, kind of sorry, to kind of expound ahead, on that, I wanted, I wanted to uh, go back a little bit to where you were talking about um, how, how you guys started to, to move into a format where you wanted people to just express their stories, whether you believed them or not, whether, you know, yeah. whether you agreed with it or not, just to get them out there. And you, you weren't there to um, confront them or to shoot them down. You're there no. to expose their story to the listeners mm-hmm. and let the listeners kind of decide and choose 
and critique it all and all. And um, I don't know if Adam did that intentionally or it's just something he he liked about that show that he you know he also agrees with himself. But that's kind of a, a philosophy that we also stand by to this day. Yeah, you know the thing, and that's the thing that we're really proud of to this day with the show is simply just that. Where, like I said already, um, yeah, there were some people that came on. You know, Doug and I are like, "What? This is this is wild." But you know what? This is a this is you know, <laughs> dare I use this term? But ghostly talk was a safe space for some people, right? Yeah. yeah. Who wanted to express some ideas? Who had some ideas they wanted to talk about? but they had been drug over the coals by other people doing shows in those days too. They were ridiculed. They were, they were literal, literal BS hack journalism, be, you know, being done to these people. They're being, they're being used and they were, they were, they were, they were jaded a bit. Right. And we said, look, if you want to come on here, we, we give you our word. We're not going to treat it that way. We want to know what you're talking. We want to hear about what you're talking about. And we're not going to judge anything here. We want to hear the information. We want to hear your story. It's as simple as that, man. Um, we didn't want to do anything else to anybody. Um, and we're really proud of that because there was, I mean, there was just countless times where we heard that when we were done doing a show with people where they'd be like, you know, thank you so much for just letting me tell my story and not try to punch holes in my story or, or judge me on the air or ridicule me or, or start punch against stupid, like, you know, audio drops while I'm talking or something like that. (laughs) We we simply just did a show and talked to people. It was just, it was so easy, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's, you know, like, you know, nowadays, I mean, and he's like probably the biggest podcaster in the world, but Joe Rogan, um, who I'm a, I'm a big fan of nowadays, he has the same idea generally. I mean, he brings people on, and especially in today's political environment, yeah. Joe Rogan brings on people from all, you know, objects of the spectrum, whether, you know, be sociopolitical ideas or political ideas or, you know, just life ideas. And he don't really limit, limit it to what he thinks is, no. is right. He'll, he'll uh, challenge every, it to a certain extent. To, but. Yeah. But Joe never goes past that line, though. Right. right? He's very good at that. It's always... It's always a if there's going to be a debate, it's going to be a spirited, interesting debate that's very engaging for the listener, right? And that's the kind of radio I like to listen to. I don't like shock jocks. I, you know, um, I, I, I've listened to it. I've heard it all over the years, uh, and I don't think that you know if someone's going to be nice enough to give you their time and, and open themselves up and put themselves out there like that, look, they're going to deal with enough crap as it is. By just put, you guys know as well as I do, you put yourself out there, you're going to get the wolves coming up, coming along, smelling fresh blood. Right. So, um, I don't want to be part of that, that machine. I don't want to be part of that. You know, I know people like to listen to stuff like that and Hey, more power to you if that's your thing, but that's just not the kind of show that Doug and I ever wanted to do back in those days. We wanted a place for people to come and enjoy themselves and have a really relaxing conversation. And, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago, Adam, about, you know, how'd you get people show? Well, as the show went on, yeah, we kind of had a form letter we put together when we, when we wanted to see if somebody wanted to come on. And part of that form letter, I still have that stuff in my archives, simply was, look, this is how we do ghostly talk. It's a conversational format. It's a relaxed format where you can just come and talk and have a good time with us. Are you interested? You know, that's all we used to say to people back then. And you guys were the first that I'd ever heard what what this format has become now, I think generally of podcasting, uh, you, where it is that long-form interview 
Because even though yeah. coast to coast, yes, they do that, you still have to break for commercials. You still have that yeah. interruption there. This way, for me, listening to Ghostly Talk was so much better than li- than listening to Coast to Coast because you would just, you know, the conversation would just flow. It was just like yeah. you were there, you were listening to it, you know, and that's the same way that I think people that listen to podcasts. So it's funny because I, even though I'm a podcaster, I still listen to podcasts and I'll still feel, you know, I'll still want to like feel like I'm want to chime in on the conversation and realize, Hey, I'm not there. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. it's that, it's just that feeling that you get of like listening to a conversation and what you guys are doing now. It's just this, it's that, it's that same thing where it's, it's just yeah. very, it's very loose. Yeah. But uh, one question for you. And I think that we are, sure. I think that we are far away from this where we can kind of look at this dispassionately. Sure. Because uh, we're at the, I guess, the ebb of this now with the whole ghost hunting shows and all of that. Do you think that that became eventually kind of a its own kind of toxic atmosphere? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it became very toxic. I, I started, I, I said this to people, I've said it openly, I've said it to people in conversations when we, when we were doing our conference, when we were going to conferences, like there was a time when ghostly talk, we were, we were literally a touring act. It felt like, um, we were at conferences every weekend. Uh, we were at conferences during the week. We were, we just, and we, a lot of those, you know, when it comes to the conferences, what's so funny is we didn't really know what we didn't really pay attention to like, well, we want this and we want this and we want a hotel room and we want hookers and blow and all that stuff. <laughs> we just wanted green you know, M&Ms only take yeah, out the yeah. rest. We were just happy to be there. <laughs> Right. We were just really excited to be there. So a lot of times like our deal when we went to conferences is, okay, tell you what, um, we're going to, we're going to go in there and tape all the speakers. We're going to cover the event. We're going to talk about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be cool. We'll have you guys on the show. Um, can you just throw us a couple of comps just for the host of the show? You know, and we'll pay for our hotels. We'll pay for our travel. We'll pay for, mm-hmm. our, we'll pay for everything. We don't care. Can you just throw yeah. us a couple of comps to your event? And that was our, that was our deal back then. We've done this. We've done similar things ourselves. Yeah. You know, so, but my point, going back to my point though, was, I mean, towards the end there, um, of our second run, I started getting frustrated because everybody I met, they didn't have a name anymore. Like, it was like, hi, I'm so-and-so. What's up? I like this. You know, um, it was, they had that, they had a title. They all had titles and they all had projects. Right. So <laughs> we meet somebody and. I'm the vice president or I'm the the technical researcher or I'm the president or I'm the this and that. And, you know, just one name after another. And, you know, we're working on this pilot and this and that. And it got really, (laughs) that that got really annoying after a while. It's like living in LA. Oh God. Oh God. Exactly. So that got kind of, um, that got irritating after a while. I won't lie. And I was like, you know, Doug and I talked about that a lot, and I'm like, you know, I missed the days where we just met interesting people and talked about cool stuff. It turned into this thing where it was just like, well, this is what we're working on, and we're, we, we met this person, and we know these people. We know Jason and Grant, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't care who you know, man. I, I don't care. We know them, too. It don't mean anything. <laughs> it, don't, it don't mean anything, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going to, to answer your question, yeah, it, it did become toxic after a while. And you know what? I mean, Bless, you know, bless their heart for, you know, what Doug and I were excited about 
when the show started up, when Ghost Hunter started up, was, hey, man, more people are going to get interested in this subject. More mm-hmm. people are going to, um, you know, want to want to explore these ideas. And we thought that was really cool, you know, and even going back to when we started Ghostly Talk, I remember vividly Doug saying this, and it happened, man. Like, Doug's like, you know, we're doing this cool show. You know, we're having fun doing this thing. He's like, I picture someday thousands of shows like this, people doing the same thing that we're doing now, talking about cool ideas, unfiltered, without, without commercial breaks, like you're saying, long-form conversations, uh, and people just doing what they want to do without a filter on them or without some type of advertising platform or without, you know, anything, or without agents, without aver- whatever, right? Um, and it happened, man. Look around you <laughs> right yep. now. It, it happened. It, it happened 10, it happened a decade ago. It was happening. So um, Doug really, to his credit, I can say that Doug really had foresight on that. Doug really saw the future of this stuff. And did we make any money doing it? No, we're still not making any money doing it. That wasn't what it was about. It was about doing something interesting that we thought was cool and, and putting ourselves out there and trying something. Um, and that's all it really was about to us, even to the very into the bloody end back then. Um, and that's the reason that it did end, I think, was because, uh, as we talked before the show a little bit, it wasn't about, at the end there, I didn't feel like we were doing what um, we set out to do. Uh, originally, that wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a mistake. It's kind of, it, it was what it was, but it just didn't work for me anymore. You know? Um, so that idea, the way where it became this arena of everybody dance, you know, everybody, everybody jumping towards the dangling carrot, let's say, right. Um, that became very toxic. And I speak from experience because, you know, I've been, a, I've been a musician all my life too. And when I was growing up and playing in punk bands and metal bands and stuff like that, it was the same thing. Yeah, I was it was say people that. all, yep. yeah, all, all people just jumping at the dangling carrot. And when I saw that start happening with you know the study of the paranormal and the field in general, that really kind of bummed me out because that's the reason that I got out of playing music was I, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so and, like you and unfortunately, from, I, you went from that things were good for a while, and then you started to see all the, what you try to get away from seeping back in. Well, it's, it's this yeah, age old yeah. struggle between, um, art marketability and, um, uh, just pure commercial bullshit, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, yeah, like, man, there's, know, nothing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being marketable, but it, it tends to, the, nah. the, t- the tend is for it to grow into a point where it's so watered down that it's just yeah. this thing that can be distributed and gobbled up by the masses to the point where it's not art anymore. No, and you know, I mean, yeah, and I mean, we never really looked at this as an art back then, but we did realize after a while, like, we are kind of doing some kind of art here, you know, and, you know, there was, <laughs> we'd go to, you know, we'd go to a conference or something like that, and it, it, it would just crack us up, because there are people back then, it was, it was really bizarre, it still is bizarre, people would call me like, I am a huge fan Oh my God. Hi. Um, you know, I'm so-and-so and, and they talk and we're like, Oh yeah, what's going on? How are you? Oh, can you sign this for me? Sign, sign what for you? What do you want us to sign? I mean, it, I think so, that it, was <laughs> me probably when I first met you, <laughs> <laughs> but we cracked up and these people, these same people, we'd sit there and talk on them for a few minutes and you could tell they were like, you know, nervous. And I'm like, okay, listen, man, you got to cut this stuff out right now. We go to work every day. You go to work every day. 
you know, we put our pants on that whole story, you know, so how about we do this, man? You know, we, we get together later and we have a drink and we hang out and we have a good time together while we all be friends, you know, yeah. really? Yeah, let's hang out. And we did that with a million people and they're friends of ours today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're friends of ours now. Uh, so these are people that listen to the show and we went through that goofy thing and we said, just, just drop that. We don't need that. We can, we can all be real people here, man. We can all know each other by our first names and have fun and relax and enjoy ourselves and then talk about this interesting, cool stuff that we're passionate about, right? <laughs> That's what it's always been about for me and Doug and, and Amber and Bonnie and all the people that are a part of Ghostly Talk now um, to this day still. It's just, you know, the art and the, and the fun of having a really interesting conversation. Um, through Ghostly Talk myself, I've learned to just love to sit down with someone, whether it's at my house or somewhere else, and have a conversation about something that we're passionate about, that we may not even always agree on everything about, but we can have a really great conversation about something and learn something too, right? You can walk away from that going, I I, I picked something up. I learned something from this person and I'm probably better for this now that I took the time to talk to this random person that I may have never had the opportunity to talk to if it wasn't for, for ghostly talk or the study of the paranormal itself. So, I mean, this is all kind of gooey philosophical type stuff, but this is what it's all, I think this, it's the foundation, all this stuff I think was built on. I think, you know, back, you know, when, you know, and I don't know all my history of the, of, of, of spiritualism and whatnot, but I do think a lot of this stuff had to start with a conversation, right? It had to start somewhere where people were talking about something and said, let's, 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 let's try something here. Let's experiment. Let's, Let's, let's do something, right? Yeah, it has absolutely. to start with a conversation, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's, but that, that, going back to what you said, yeah, I think the whole TV starry-eyed, I, hey, I can be on TV too type of thing, reality TV type thing. Yeah, it did um, throw a lot of thorns into the whole operation, I think. Um, you know, and it is where it is when it comes to that. I mean, that's just, that's just how things went and, I won't lie. I am still a bit jaded. <laughs> you know, I, I'll, and I'll, I'll carry that with me to my dying day. I can't forget what I know. Uh, yeah. And I know that, you know, putting yourself in front of a camera uh, on a reality TV show, yelling, you know, come at me ghost or whatever people do now. Um, come on, bro. Work, and you know what? I'm sure there's, there's a handful of people that made a lot of money doing that. Oh, and yeah. Hey, 10 points to you, man. You, you found, you found your niche. You got in there. You, you had an opportunity, you took it and you know, I can't fault anybody for going out and doing what they want to do like that. I, it's their I, decision. I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I know what you mean about that kind of weird disconnect and that yeah. feeling. Because when I met you guys, I thought I was like meeting celebrities. Like, I will be honest, I did. Because I listened to you guys probably for at least a year and a half to two years before I met you guys. Well, there's something really intimate about podcasting, too. You know, you're sitting right. there listening to people talk for hours right. and hours. You know, it's going to yeah. be a you, long time. You come to feel like you know them. Yeah. And so I had that yeah. I had that same experience, you know, just the this the uh, about a couple of weeks ago, where I, I'd had this uh, person contact me, and I they said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd really like to talk to you. I have some information about a subject that you guys covered, and mm-hmm. I and I and I finally got to the point where I did call this person, 
And the first, and he says to me, "Oh man, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity." And I'm like, "Oh no, dude, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm. You probably have a better job than me. Don't worry about it." And <laughs> and uh, and it, it, so it was just this kind of like, yeah. I, and I and I started talking to him, and I finally said, "Dude, I like this information that you got. Would you like to come on the show?" And he's like, "Oh man, I'd love that." And so, like, I have no problem if somebody comes up to us and he says, "You know, I've got." information, you know, I'll, I'll put them on and you just talk about your weird experiences. And I had this person yeah. on the last, the last show and it, and it went really well. And it's just like, there's no, there is no like celebrity thing here. You know, no. this, but my, my answer to that would be like, you know, this is easy to do now. Like you, like talking to anybody that would ask me, you can do this yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, no, and I mean, and that's what it comes down it's to. A, it's um, a very democratic thing. Yeah, totally. And that's really, I mean, even back in those days for us, uh, you know, a lot of shows we did have, they came from stuff like that. Like, you know, I'm working on this thing. Dude, let's, let's talk about this on the show. Would you want to have a conversation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool, man. No problem. Yeah. Um, and that's all it was. And, you know, thankfully, you know, to a certain, you know, we, we got to a certain point. You know, we did have a reputation for being a positive out, outlet. We were a positive force in this thing where, you know, people did, you know, it was easier toward, you know, in the later years because people knew that when he came on Ghostly Talk, it wasn't going to be some shock jock type thing that I was talking about earlier. It was going to be a real conversation, you know, and, and long form, like you said, Adam, that's the key to it. I mean, a long form type conversation with no interruptions, let's just talk about it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a comfortable thing. I think that's what today, even today for me, that's, that's what makes it, like I said a minute ago, I mean, ghostly talk, I do it for these many years now. Um, it made me love uh, the art and just the general practice of sitting down with someone and having a good time and having a really interesting conversation. That's, that's all it really is, man. It's just, it's just a, it's a fun outlet mm -hmm. to talk to people about weird stuff. Um, that you normally wouldn't talk, talk, talk about, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's supposed to be fun. I don't really know anything else to say about it. It's, it's supposed to be something that's fun and thought provoking. Um, and hopefully you learn something from it. Well, and that's all it really is. To me. Let's um, talk, a, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the current iteration of it. it you've got, um, there's some new people involved, if I'm not mistaken. And has anything yeah. else changed from the old show, the old format? Well, I mean, um, we, Troy Taylor, I don't know if you guys know who Troy Taylor is or not. Um, yep. He's an author out of uh, Alton, Illinois, um, an old hero of ours. And it goes probably it goes one of the most the knowledgeable people yeah. on this subject because I really yeah. like Troy yeah. because not, you know, not just for the supernatural stuff, but the, the guy's, a, the guy is a historian. I mean, he really is. He's a total is. encyclopedia, the yeah. total historian. And, um, you know, when that's one of them stories like, hey, what if we could actually have Troy Taylor on the show? And this is years and years ago. And we reached out to him. He's like, I love, I, I listen to you guys. I like you guys. I want to talk. We're like, wow, how cool is that? We're going to have Troy Taylor on. We have all of his books here. This is so neat. Um, and from that blossomed the beautiful relationship that we have to this day. And where Troy indirectly was kind of responsible for ghostly talk starting back up a couple years ago, Troy, um, for the 20th anniversary of the Haunted America Conference, he's like, I want to do some cool stuff for this thing. He's like, can't we get the band back together, man? Can we just get the band back together for the conference? 
And I'm like, well, that's an interesting idea. Okay. And I talked to Doug and Bonnie and we're like, Doug's like, let's do it. This will be fun. Let's go down there and hang out and have a good time. I'm like, all right, cool. So we got down there. That was, that was three, well, two and a half years ago or something now. Um, and we were just being, you know, Troy Taylor is another one of those people who's a, a beautiful, positive force in this whole thing. Um, you know, he's, he's kept all of his stuff, like his conference that he does every year. It's so grassroots, and so cool, and so personable. And there's all these wonderful people there to talk to. Everybody's approachable. And it's still pretty inexpensive, which cheap, is another. Cheap, 50 bucks for right. the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Dirt cheap, right? Um, and it just, it's, it's a really great thing. So we got back, you know, we went down to that thing a few years ago and just kind of got immersed in that whole thing again. After many years, because I won't lie, when we folded this thing, uh, in 2008, I think it was 2008. Um, I literally unplugged for a long time myself. And so did Doug too. I know he did. Uh, we both had to unplug from this thing. We had to, we had to get away from it. We had to distance ourselves from it and just decompress and focus on other things in our lives. You know, we were just burned out. Um, so after 10 years almost, or what, I don't know, uh, it'd been seven or eight or something like that. We got, we came back down to this conference and we just, are immersed in this thing again. It just lights that spark in you. are like, man, this is so cool. This is so great. So literally like at breakfast every day when we were that, we were there for the whole weekend, we're sitting there at breakfast and we were kind of all going, how hard would it be to get the show going again? You know, we could do this. This isn't that hard, you know, and we kind of just talked about it. And then we came, we, we left there going, let's all think about this for a couple of days and get back together on the phone and chat about it. Right. So we all talked some more after that, had some more conversations. And I said, and Doug was still kind of on the fence. He's like, I don't know. We're like, all right, well, it's just, there's no pressure here. We can, we can do whatever we want. But we finally got to the point where it's like, okay, well, I set the studio. I built a little studio in my basement. I got things kind of, the infrastructure back, put back in place to do the show. Uh, Amber and I, um, who's my fiance, I don't know if you guys know that or not, Amber, who's on the show, she's my fiance. Um, you know, she was started working on things, getting things put together. And so I, Doug and I finally had to have the conversation. Uh, I remember on the 4th of July, at, he was on a big, big bash at his house. And I sat down and said, okay, let's, let's talk about this thing. So do you, I go, I really want to do this with you, man. I mean, you're the guy, you're the man. You started this whole thing. It was all because of you. So, um, you know, what's up is, are you going to do it or not? <laughs> you know? And I go, as I literally said at that point, I'm like, I can't do this without you, Doug. I can't, I, I can't do this without you, man. You're, you're the yin to my yang, <laughs> you know, you're the wind beneath my wings. I need you brother. You know, come on, let's do this thing. <laughs> uh, and he's like, I, he's like, honestly, Scott, I, I, I don't see it in my future. I'm a different person now. And it was a lot of fun to go down to that conference. And I really enjoyed it. He's like, but I have other responsibilities now that I have to be focused on. And I just don't see this in my future, which was perfectly fine. I said, okay, well then that's fine. I'm perfectly cool with that. We'll just put this thing to bed then. He's like, no, do the show. He's like, you have, he's like, just do the show, man. He's like, if you guys want to do it, it'll be awesome. I know it'll be great. You, he's like, I know, you know what you're doing, Scott. You know, cause like I said before, Doug has always been a mentor to me. Right. So I didn't feel even just a few years ago, like I had the chops to handle this on my own and, and deal with all this stuff. Uh, and Doug's like, Nope, I have a hundred percent faith in you. 
do the show. And he's like, and he's like, and I'll, I'll drop in. I'll do things with you guys too. I just can't be a full-time member anymore. You know? So, um, we moved forward and that's what we've been doing to this day now. And Doug's dropped in a couple of times now and he's always a part of what we do. He's a, he's a part of the DNA of this show. He always will be without even saying anything about it. Um, so we've kind of just moved forward and doing this thing on a very, very different basis now. I mean, back in project two that I keep mentioning, um, yeah, Sunday nights from 6 PM to 9 PM, you know, for a handful of years, it was ghostly talk, live show, chat room going, you know, all this stuff we had to do, all these affiliates we were responsible to and all this craziness, you know, um, see that had to now, be stressful to do it live. I, I don't, oh, I don't brutal. think I could do this live. Brutal. It was <laughs> brutal. It was fun. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Man, did we learn, man, did we learn? Oh, we, we, you know, we got, I think we got pretty good at what we were doing. We really had a machine going. Right. Um, but now, you know, when we started this thing up and I had my say, and I'm like, guys, if we're going to do this, that's, that's cool. But I can't do this thing. <laughs> 150% like I was doing before it burned me out before and it'll burn me out again. I have to be able to, you know, not have it take over my life. And that's what it did before. Right. So I said, we have to do this in a way where we can just kind of do this at our leisure and have fun with it and not have to be held by any kind of rules. Okay. There's a reason that I don't, there's a reason that I don't like watching network TV not because a lot of it, I find a lot of it ridiculous, but um, I don't like to have to be somewhere at a certain time every week. I'm, I'm just a weirdo like that, right? That's why I don't like bowling leagues. I don't want to have to be somewhere a certain time every week. I don't like to be bound down like that. <laughs> I, I have a job. I have enough responsibilities um, that I have to be disciplined, you know, and I'm disciplined enough. If I want to have a hobby again with something like this, I don't want to have to feel like it's work, right? So, um, what we're doing now with ghostly talk is a much more laid back do as we feel like we're doing it or do when we do when we feel like doing it type of thing. Right. So if you've seen what we've done, the latest output, we've had a, a time where we would go a month without doing a show. <laughs> we just, we didn't have the time. We didn't feel like it, we felt, we didn't feel like doing it. There's a, a plethora of reasons for that. Um, so it's a much more laid back. It's not a live show anymore. It's just a podcast. It's a simple little podcast that's in one in many millions of podcasts that are out there now, but it's still ours. It's still something we like to do. Um, yeah. and it's fun to do. And I do really enjoy doing it the way we do it now. It's a lot of fun this way. Did you ever, when you guys stopped, did you get anybody that said, oh man, you guys are missing the boat on so many good things. Did you ever get anybody telling you that? Yeah. Didn't matter. It just didn't matter. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, people, people did say, yeah, there was a, you know, um, you know, guys, you know, really you should, nope. We, we shut it down. We shut it down. Right. And, uh, I didn't really, obviously with, you know, it all kind of, it all relates to each other. Uh, you know, we stopped doing it because, you know, it was, it was a grind and we felt like, like I was telling you guys before we started taping towards the end there, we had a couple of shows where Doug and I literally looked at each other after the show and said, man, I need a bath. Like we were just <laughs> literally, we were whores. Like, like 
You know, we'd have people just yelling at us and on the breaks going, you're not mentioning my book enough. You need to mention my book more. You need to push the book. What? You need to do this. And we're like, what? What's going on here? You know? So like the um, guests would actually say that to you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Or we'd have an agent, we'd have an agent yell at us after the show. Like you didn't do this. You didn't do that. Why? What's the deal what? here? <laughs> and we're like, we didn't oh, my know. God. No. You know, we're not professionals. We're not professionals. So um, yeah, I, I think that, that that just shows to me that they just did not get it. No, they didn't care. All they cared yeah. about was selling books. All they cared about was selling books, man. Right. That's what they wanted to do. We were nothing but a cog in a wheel at that time, I felt. That was just another show for them to go on to help them push product. And I didn't like feeling that way. I didn't like it. There was nothing special about it to me. Um, and mind you, some of these people were very interesting too. They were great people to talk to. They were really cool. But when you're getting that kind of flack from someone off the air, it really sours the relationship, I think, with mm-hmm. someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, people over the years, we were, we were kind of like dormant. Yeah. All kinds of stuff would pop up here and there, you know? Um, and we, it'd be funny cause we get some, uh, you know, we always kept the email address active for people that had questions or, you know, just wanted to say something. You know, it was always nice to hear from people. But we get letters, you know, form letters from people going, yeah, I'm, I'm a world-renowned person. I'm going to save the world. I, I have the answer to all of life's greatest gifts. And be on my show, and I'll change your life. And I'd have to email them back and go, you're obviously not doing your homework. We haven't done this show in like four years, man. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you're not paying attention here, okay? So, you know, I'm not trying to be harsh, but those are the realities of this thing. Um, and now, yeah, we get, a, we get people that want to come on the show now and, you know, Amber and Bonnie and Doug and I, I'll look at it and I'll go, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to talk to this person. I'm sure they're really nice and they're really cool, but I don't want to talk to them. I, I don't care. It's not going to benefit me in any way. Um, you know, and it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about benefit, but you know, I want to have a good time and talk to somebody. That's all we want to do. You know, um, and I don't want to be a cog in the wheel anymore. I just want to do our show and have fun with it and have a good time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we hear that for sure. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah, it absolutely is. So I'll put you on the spot, Scott, uh, Go ahead. off the uh, subject of podcasting or paranormal. So f- yeah. favorite punk and favorite metal band. Where, where, where do you, uh, uh, Okay, we'll start with metal because that's my wheelhouse. Uh, <laughs> basically, my meat and potatoes have always been Motorhead, Celtic Frost, Venom, and uh, yes. and Those those are <laughs> yes. those are those are the bands I grew oh, up man. listening to. First wave of black metal. <laughs> you have surfing yeah. as approval. <laughs> yeah, Venom, Venom, Venom is just you know, Venom's a very polarizing band to this day. I absolutely worship them because let's face it, they were Motorhead clones. Okay. Uh, but they were ugly and they were mean and they talked about sex and drugs and Satan. And it was fun. I got a kick out of it. I still do. Um, <laughs> of, of the, of the four, uh, I have to say over many years, Bathory. Yes. Um, yes. you know, those four core bands I'm talking about, that's my meat and potatoes Bathory in, in that core, in that meat and potatoes type thing there, that core Bathory is my all time favorite. Bathory oh, yeah. is one of the most incredible uh, Corthon, who is the only guy in Bathory, really, the one artist in that band. Yep. He's one of my all-time favorite artists. Um, the guy wrote just 
the library that he wrote of music. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately, back in 2004. Uh, but the, the music he left just is mind-blowing to this day. Uh, the band I play in now, uh, we rehearse here at my house. I got two giant Bathory banners in our rehearsal room. I mean, I, okay. just, I worship okay. that band. But What's your favorite album? Band, by my Bathory. favorite Bathory album? Yeah. Under the Sign of the Black Monk. Yeah, the yeah. That's the a good one. It's one of the ugliest, the guitar tone on that sounds like a buzzsaw. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, uh, Enter the Eternal Fire, the the third track, I think, on that album. No, I'm sorry. If if you're listening to the cassette or the record, it's the first track on side B, Enter the Eternal Fire, was the first song I learned how to play bass guitar on, too. It's my all-time, one of my all-time favorite songs. However, to go further into that really quick, my all-time, 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 all-time favorite band will always be a band called Holy Terror. Um, which um, they were a, they were like a, a thrash band out of California. They only put out two records, but those two albums that those guys put out are about ten of any other band. The, the density those guys put out, and long story short, I mean that's a band that I've been obsessed with to this day. Um, I'm really good friends with all those guys now too. I do their website for them, as a matter of fact. The band cool. Holy Terror. Um, HolyTerrorSpeedMetal.com. That's the website I do for my all-time favorite band. Wow. That is my all-time. That's cool. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah, I'm really good friends with those guys. Um, um, I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky that I was able to become really good friends with my favorite band. You know, um, they actually just did a Holy Terror. Were approached by a record label a couple of years ago to do a to do like a, a commemorative uh, record. Because the singer of Holy Terror, Keith Dean, passed away in 2000, uh, 2000, 2012, I think. Uh, their singer passed away, so they, this record label wanted to do like kind of a, uh, a dedication record to Keith Dean, the singer. And I was actually asked by Kurt, the guitar player, he called me one day and said, Hey, man, so they want to do this thing. We got a bunch of money to do this with. They want to do a vinyl press, an actual vinyl run of our original 1986 demo. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool, you know? And he's like, I don't have one. <laughs> I don't have this demo. I don't have it. He's like, so I'm calling to see if you have a copy. I'm like, well, I have about nine different copies from all over the world. You know, people sent me different versions of it, right? So I said, how about I, he's like, well, can you take a demo? And I have a little studio that I work with here at my house. Could you take that and remaster it and pretty it up and make it sound better? And give it to the record label and then you'll get the, you'll get an engineer's credit on the record. I'm like, will I? Okay. You know? Um, so I was able to do that with those guys and also do liner notes in that record set, um, that they put out a couple years ago. So my name is actually, I actually have a blurb inside the record. I'm in the liner notes. I have credits on there. So that's a dream come true. I mean, for any, any, any nerd like me, that's mind blowing. So that's metal. (laughs) Okay. Good taste. Good taste. I approve. Yeah. The, the punk thing, which, you know, growing up, I was more of a metal dude, but the first punk band I heard when I was young, well, it was a, it was a mix between the two, but I heard the Dead Kennedys, oh, and yeah. that blew oh, my yeah. mind. Oh, yeah. I never heard anything like that. And then my aunt let me hear the Ramones, and I was like, what in the hell is this? This is the most insane thing I've ever heard, right? <laughs> um, it still is, right? Um, so I grew up, like, being spoon-fed you know, the Dead Kennedys, the Ramones, uh, of course, you know, we all were Misfits fans growing up, too, so we all know all those songs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so I was, I was just immersed in that stuff along with all the metal stuff. And then, you know, a lot of people, uh, 
they like to bag on that the style, but you know, nineties punk rock, you know, that started with like the green days and the blink one eighty twos and stuff like that, whatever. Um, there was a record label <laughs> out, of, out of California called fat records, um, uh, which was started by fat Mike from no effects. Oh, man, no love effects. no effects. Love um, no effects. And no effects is up there for me too. I mean, yes. it's one of my all time favorite punk bands, but you know, the nineties style, like that Southern California, what they would call what they call melodic hardcore. Right. Um, you know, which was no effects. They were a melodic hardcore band, but it was punk rock. It's all punk rock, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, no effects started up that label, and they and like the first six bands he put out, like No Use for a Name, Good mm-hmm. Riddance, Lag Wagon, yep. Propaganda, Propaganda is um, good, yeah. Yeah, Propaganda. I already pronounced it different. Propaganda, Propaganda, Propaganda. All those bands were just inc- they blew my mind when I was younger because they were they were <laughs> there. I say it. They had this punk attitude strung out. Another one, man. That band yep. to this day, I just—they blow my mind. Yeah, when I was um, a little skater punk, that was all I listened to was all of those. Yeah, the propaganda, the Blink One Eighty Two. A lot of their sound really comes from Descendants. Oh God, yeah, that's yeah. that's oh, one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Descendants, absolutely incredible band. The Descendants and all like that '90s, like the the Fat Wreck sound. Just blew my mind because I mean it was rooted in. If you listen to like Fat Rock, what they called the Fat Rex sound back then, when they were when Fat Mike was getting the label going, it was rooted in thrash. It was rooted in speed metal. It really was. I mean, those guys all like used to bag on metal, but I'm like, no, you guys are basically playing very melodic metal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but with a very, with a punk rock type attitude. With that attitude, you know, what the fuck you? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh my god, I just said the F word. I, I apologize. It's <laughs> all good. Um, but with totally that attitude, okay, man. You know, with that attitude, <laughs> it happens when you talk about punk rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you got to let one I mean, go. <laughs> yeah, but as far as you know, like, no effects. That band. To, I mean, whenever they put something out, I buy it. You know, I don't care what you know. You know, I don't agree with everything they say, but I love that band. I love what they've done, um, and they're still playing. Um, and you know, Fat Mike still puts out quality bands on his label. He's still doing a lot of cool stuff with that record label to this day. Um, I just bought face to face is another band that I just, I totally freak out about when I hear face to face, face to face just put out, I just got it in the mail yesterday. Face to face just put out, uh, an acoustic record of all their, like all their favorite. They did like a, one of them, uh, you know, like polls on some message board somewhere and said, okay, guys, we're going to do an acoustic album. Tell us your favorite songs. So they took and got the numbers on what, and then they went and took those songs that everyone wanted to hear, and they did a whole acoustic album, which I'm just in love with right now. It's really good. So, you know, there's so much punk rock to listen to to this day. But, you know, I think it all started a lot. You know, I mean, people always argue about where punk was started and whatnot. Um, But for me, growing up, uh, it was the Ramones mainly. I mean, you know, and of course, like the Dead Kennedys and the Misfits and stuff like that. I was just one of them kids who just loved that stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where that stuff went. And then of course, you know, you have, you know, when you get into hardcore, which, um, I heard minor threat and I heard black flag and that blew my mind too. Then I heard uh, negative black, approach. Black flags, my favorite punk band of all time. Yeah. Well, then I heard negative approach, yeah. which is, oh, yeah. they're from Detroit, man. That's, that's, that's the band for me. And I'm, I'm really lucky to know those guys too. Now I'm, I'm friends with those guys. Um, and they're out tour. They're on tour right now. As a matter of fact, they're out on the road. Um, negative approach is one of the hardest bands I've ever heard, <laughs> you know, just one of the, one of the all time hardest bands. Mm. So, um, 
you know, there's just so much music out there. And, you know, yeah, it's fun to be put on the spot because it makes you think about what you really love. Because I didn't even mention Black Sabbath yet either. Of course. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you don't have to. Holy man. crap. Uh, you know, uh, so it's all beautiful to me. Um, you, know, now, you know, we say that about Ghostly Talk, too. We always said that from, like, you know, when we saw the way the tides were kind of shifting with this whole thing, we all said, you know, Ghostly Talk is like the punk rock show, man. We're like, we're the punk rock paranormal show because we're doing this all DIY. We only supported back then when we played music on the show, we only supported, you know, like independent bands that were doing it all on their own. So the whole attitude was, was very punk rock like that. We just, it was all a very DIY type thing to us. So we, and Doug growing up, Doug grew up listening to, to Black Flag um, and the Misfits also, and we're both gigantic Ramones fans. So Doug and I both just blast from Ramones when we hang out. I remember so, you guys would play that one song a lot, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is that's, very that's Misfits-esque, you know. To this day, to this day, that's my ringer for Doug still. When yeah. Doug calls me and I hear that song <laughs> on my phone, I know it's Doug. Because that was his favorite song back in the day. You hear that and he fell in love with that song. Oh, it's so, a great song. So that was, you know, that attitude, it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that, because that attitude really carried over into what we were doing with the radio show or the podcast or whatever it might be, even to this day. I think that's definitely something. Everyone who goes through punk rock, I think it has a, if uh, if you take it the right way and you don't get too bogged down and like uh, dogmatic and, you know, you go through your phase and you get more open-minded, I think that's important. But to take those ethos and, you know, apply it to other things in your life later on, it's it's been a real positive influence on me and other people. I, I think what oh, you I, do, so I, I think what you guys, I remember telling you back then that, uh, I thought what you were doing with the podcast, or even though we didn't really have that word at that point, was that you know it's very it was very much akin to what the you know the the indie labels and DIY back in the seventies and eighties did. You know, it was the same yeah, kind was, of thing, and yeah. and it still is. You know, it, it, it this is very much. I mean, we're we call it a studio, but it's really a, a converted garage. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> so it's I got a little, little part put a, put aside in our in the basement here that, you know, has all this old equipment that we worked on. We're still using a lot of the same equipment we used back in the day, including the same same server we used. Still kicking, still working. Um, very grassroots still, um, you know, very DIY with that attitude. You know, and I still walk the walk. I'm still, I mean, I still live that way. You know, I mean, I'm not some out of control, you know, maniac, you know, drunk and high all the time. But, you know, I, I don't do that. But, I still live that lifestyle. I still feel the same way about things. I still feel about, you know, what punk rock really was, whatever it became over time and what it is now. Um, I always said, it's just about doing what you want to do, being your own person, about being an individual. Um, and I really still embrace that idea. And I still live that idea. I think every day I like that. I like being that person. You know, I still have my, you know, I still got the long hair and all that goopy stuff and whatnot. And, <laughs> you know, I'm an old working slub, you know, to this day still. So it's like, I still believe in that idea. I still think it's a, it's a, it's a great way to live. And like somebody said a second ago, I'm really happy that I was exposed to that stuff when I was young and I was able to grow into that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the funniest thing too is that band Holy Terror I mentioned. My growing up, I, mean, I had typical parents growing up that, when I started bringing, you know, Black Sabbath records in the house and Iron Maiden records and all this stuff, they were like, that stuff's going to ruin your life. You're going to get on drugs. You're going to, it's going <laughs> to rot your brain and you're going to be a loser. Right. And I mentioned that I do Holy Terror's website now. Right. Um, 
the, the very short version of that is I got so excited when I met these guys and I said, I want to do a website for you guys, not really knowing how the hell to do anything back then. <laughs> I had no idea how to program HTML. I had no idea how to do anything. Um, but I, I, I made my bed back then. And I said, well, I made my bed. I'm going to sleep in it. I'm going to do this thing. So I went and I built this website almost over 20 years ago now. And I learned how to program HTML and I learned how the internet worked and I learned how systems worked and whatnot, which led to the career that I have now. So it's a funny joke. I tell my parents now, I'm like, you guys said that, that metal was going to ruin my life, but actually it saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it saved my life. You know, I, I got, I got a pretty good living out of that now. So I'm, I'm glad that I was exposed to all those things and I'm still able to live that way and still, you know, persevere and, you know, you know, be a decent person. You know, and I think, I don't know a better group of people, all, all the people I'm, I'm a part of the metal. I play in a metal band. I play in a hard band. And, um, I don't know all my best friends are people that listen to hard music that listen to heavy music or punk rock. And they're the most wonderful people. It's the most wonderful community of people you ever want to meet, you know? So I'm proud to be a part of that still. And I'm proud to still be passionate about that as much as I'm as passionate as I am about the paranormal and weird stuff too. It all, it's all the same to me now. <laughs> it's just all one cool yeah. thing that I enjoy to do all around. Yeah, you know? I, I, I totally identify with that completely yeah scott l it has been awesome talking to you man it, it really well, has guys i can't thank you enough this has been really great too I, I i really enjoyed talking to you guys and you know we gotta hang out like one night we gotta figure something out here yeah um you know like like we say we hang out we we're out and about doing this thing again so we gotta figure out a way to have a rendezvous somewhere and and chit chat for a while face to face you know well tell people where they can find the show so they can listen oh ghostlytalk.com on our website you can listen to all the old archives they're all up there for free and then you can listen to all the new shows that are up there for free no strings attached nothing to do Uh, we're on Instagram also Um, you you can just look for us on Instagram Uh, we're on we're on the devil's website also Facebook Um, (laughs) we're we're kind of out and about there we're we're trying to modernize a little bit Um, uh, so we're out there and about, so you can find us in all kinds of places. We're on Stitcher and we're on iTunes and all that other goofy stuff. But really, we tell people just to come to the website, you know, because somebody, somebody asked us uh, a couple weeks ago, like, why aren't you guys on Spotify? I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to be on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends, I have friends in bands that are on Spotify and they, they show me their royalty checks from Spotify and they're really scary. So I'm like, I don't want to make those people any more rich Five than they cents. are. Earn a nickel. Yeah. Literally, I'm, we're talking. You're right. You're, yeah, you, that's you nailed true. It. Like mm-hmm. we're talking pennies, man. So I, I don't want to make anybody else rich. We're paying for the server here. Just come and download it from us. It's cool. You know, we're not asking for anything. Just come and listen to our show and have a good time with us. Absolutely, and I and we recommend it here. Well, uh, Scott, stay on the line for us. So we're going to close this section sure. out. And guys, we'll mm-hmm. be right back on Conspiracy Normal. And we're back, guys, on Conspiracy Normal. Uh, we have a double guest episode. We haven't done one of these in a while. And the second guest tonight, uh, we have Brian Gadawa. And Brian is going to talk about his new book, which is Resistant. That's the new yes. book? Yes. That's what yes. it's called. Yes. 
I know they all have R names, so I wanted to make sure that that was the right one. I, no, ha- I have been reading it. I'm about halfway through it. So. Oh, okay. It's called Resistant Revolt of the Jews is the subtitle. Yes, yes. And this is, uh, we're continuing the whole exploration of the preterist argument of the book of Revelation. Yes, the origin story of the book of Revelation is how I call it. So, in other words, whereas most people are writing, you know, um, here's how I believe Revelation is going to come out in our near future in the 21st century, I'm going back and saying, what was it like in the first century when John wrote the book of Revelation? What was the world like at that time? And how might they have understood it in their context instead of in ours? Yes. And... Uh, I do have some, we'll get some questions, some, some thoughts that I have, and I think that uh, Serfiel, who's uh, you've not met yet, he's he joined us uh, a few shows ago. What so is he, it, Serfiel? Yeah, Serfiel. Yes, sir. Hi, Serfiel. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, we were going to talk a little bit about Rob's vacation tonight, but uh, <laughs> he told oh! me his vacation was kind of boring. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about your vacation. <laughs> All righty then. Well, let me tell you. You went to Michigan, I, right? The t- yeah. <laughs> dog man. That's what- no, listen to this. So, so <laughs> uh, we went to, my wife and I went to Israel last month and we were wow. there on the day. We were in Jerusalem on the day that they moved the American embassy into the Jerusalem. And, oh, and of course, that's also the day that is the 70th anniversary of the nation of uh, of Israel becoming a, a nation in, in 1948, you know, where it got its sort of legal acceptance or whatever. And so we didn't plan it that way, though. Ironically, um, what how it came about was was that I'm friends with Michael Heiser, and he's of course the if if I don't know if your audience knows, but he's a, a biblical scholar who. Oh yeah, but we, but we writes, know Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, anyway, I I wrote him and said, hey, you we should have a. I go, my wife and I were thinking about going to Israel, but, you know, it's like, uh, of course I'd love to see cool Bible sites, but wouldn't it be cool if we went to sites that you could talk about, like Mount Hermon, where the watchers came down, or the gates of Hades, you know, all these kind of cool things. And so, he ended up, uh, put, they ended up putting that together. And so, we went there with Mike Heiser and Derek Gilbert, who who's uh, another, uh, you know, teacher guy. And... Um, and so we went around, and you know, we we hit some typical places, you know, in Galilee, and and you know, we went on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on the water and stuff like that. But we also went to, um, like I said, Mount Hermon and uh, the Gates of Hades, which is in outside of Caesarea Philippi, and that's where Jesus talked about, um, you know, building my kingdom on this rock. And most people, you know, if you're Catholic, you think the rock is Peter. If you're Protestant, you think the rock is the declaration of the his uh, of 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 Christ, the Son of God. But actually, if you're a Hyzerian, you realize that he's standing at the foot of Mount Hermon, which was considered the um, the holy cosmic mountain that was uh, in uh, in battle against. God's holy mountain, which was Zion. And so, it was a spiritual war of mountains going on, and Jesus was basically saying, this rock, which is Hermon, you know, I'm going to to, to uh, conquer it and build 
and build my kingdom on its ruins, so to speak, right? And there's references actually to this in the Psalms, you know, where, uh, you know, Mount Bashan, it talks about Mount Bashan. Um, I said, I don't know which Psalm it is, but it's one of those Psalms and um, talks about how Mount Mount Bashan is the whole, is is basically Mount Hermon. And it talks about how there's this battle of Mount mountains, cosmic mountains between Bashan and Zion. So, we went through all these different locations in Israel, seeing that kind of stuff going on. But it was also fascinating to be there in a historic time. We were a little afraid at first, you know, we're thinking, oh, is there going to be trouble? But there really wasn't. I mean, I felt safer in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. We felt safer in Jerusalem than anywhere in Los Angeles. So, and and, and by the way, (laughs) at that time period, you know, I mean, like we're we're walking out, uh, you know, alone on the streets and on Shabbat at night, and there are women walking out alone, right? And and there's these and there's groups of like these young Jewish kids singing, carrying their rabbis on a chair and singing down the streets, and and then on the on the eve of the celebration of that transference of the uh, American embassy, oh, there was just tons of celebration, you know, and um, uh. Yeah, like we got caught in the middle of all this dancing and singing it was in the streets. It was just really cool, you know, very festive and, and and all that. And what's interesting was, so so you know, a lot of people think a lot of Christians like to visit the Holy Land a lot because they think all this stuff is going to happen, like the you know Valley of Megiddo. That's where Armageddon's going to happen and all this stuff. And um, and I have a different viewpoint, you know. And I, I so so we go around visiting this stuff and. And, and in point of fact, we actually, my wife and I, while we appreciated it, we loved the history. You know, you visit Bethel where Jacob saw the ladder and all this cool stuff in the Old Testament, as well as some of the New Testament. And, you know, seeing this Temple Mount was cool. It was all cool and historical, but it really wasn't a spiritual pilgrimage like it is for many of these Christians who think like the end times is going to end up in Israel um, because – you know, our our theological understanding of God is rooted in the New Testament concept that, you know, the the um, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, not not a kingdom of this earth, and Christ is reigning right now on the throne, the right hand of God on the throne in heaven over all the earth. Well, see, that's-, that's what the that's what the Bible says, and so we've got this spiritual connection with God that. We are the temple of God. The Bible says, you know, the Christian body of Christ is the temple of God built with new stones, spiritual stones. You are spiritual stones. So, we have this spiritual beauty that we're appreciating while we're at the, at the wailing wall. And we are like, you guys, man, you, you're missing it, all the beauty of the hmm. spiritual truths, you know? And that's kind of how we felt. So, it was, it was cool, but you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't as glorious as the new covenant. Let's put it that way. I, I would have thought that no matter what kind of viewpoint you come from, that Jerusalem for any Christian would be a moving sure. place. Sure, absolutely. You know where Jesus walked and all that stuff. Oh yeah. I'm just I'm just saying that we don't have this gawking sort of like you know this is where it's all going to come together and end and all right. this kind of stuff because it's really more the sort of like this is the carcass of the old covenant that God has transcended with the new covenant. And there's, you know, so yeah, well, there's a, there's a beautiful connection. Yeah, but. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's just get a kind of little bit of an overview on the preterist viewpoint, mm-hmm. because uh, I, I think that'd be good to, to kind of review that. So for some people sure. that have never heard, heard this before. 
Sure. So, so my, my book series that we're talking about is called Chronicles of the Apocalypse, and it's a novel series because I want to tell the story of the book of Revelation and how, how you know, the Christians of the first century might have understood it in their context during the, the, the you know, persecution of Nero, throwing Christians to the lions, and then, you know, sometime around AD 66, uh, the Jews revolt against Rome, and there's this huge war between Rome and 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 uh, and Israel, and Rome comes in, flattens the land, and and uns, ends up you know destroying the the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And this is a major historical context and a historical event that I think a lot of Christians don't know about. And so, um, as a you know, from my particular viewpoint, I think it's even particularly important because. It is a fulfillment of a lot of the prophecies that Jesus talked about being the end of the age or the last days. Now, you know, when, when you say those words, there's, you know, many Christians automatically assume last days of the, of the world, last days of the earth, or the end of the age for them is the end of time. But really in context, that's not what those things mean. Yeah. You know, when Jesus talks about the end of the age, he's talking about the end of an era. And what is that age? Well, the ancient Jews believed that there were two ages, the present age that they lived in, and then when Messiah came, he would bring the age to come. Well, as New Testament Christians, we believe the age to come has arrived. Uh, and so, in a very real sense, if you were in the time where Jesus was still around, he came at the end of the old covenant age. So, when, so basically, the, the, the dividing line of understanding last days and end times is that you know, the, the concept of last days in the Bible— it's not the last days of the earth or the last days of history or whatever. It contextually it means the last days of the old covenant. And and you get this in context. When you read the New Testament, you see many different places where the writers say we were you know, we are in the last days right now in the first century. You know, well, what does that mean? How can that be? Well, they were saying that they were in the last days of the old covenant because the new covenant had come in Christ. And so, when you have this big paradigm shift, change of, well, what does that mean? Then that means a lot of these things we think uh, are, are to be fulfilled in our future now actually had their fulfillment back then in the first century. And the fulfillment has to do with um, – you know the 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 ending of the old covenant and the historical consummation and vindication of the new covenant, which was, you know, the big deal. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what the Old Testament was all about: Messiah who was to come and the new covenant, right? And so, when that arrives, it is that it is so cataclysmic spiritually that the Bible uses cosmic language. And this is why modern Christians misunderstand it, because we'll read cosmic language like, you know, you go to the classic chapter, Matthew 24, and it talks about, oh, you know, you'll see the, um, the, the what is it, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And we, we tend to have this p- 
post-enlightened, modern scientific literalism, hyper-literalism, where we just sort of think, well, well, God can do that, so that's miraculous, but God has no problem doing that. And yeah, we'll have signs in the heavens, sure, that's going to... But the problem is, is when you study the language of prophecy, you see it's very, very symbolic. And all these phrases we read in the New Testament have precedent in the Old Testament. And when you go and find out what they meant, you realize, you learn that these prophetic statements of things like the cosmic collapse of the universe is not literal. It's symbolic of spiritual significance. So, in other words, whenever the earthly powers fell on earth, you know, or when God would would overcome an earthly power or a, uh, he would judge a nation or a tribe or a people like the, Assyri- the Assyrians or the Babylonians or even the Israelites of the of the ancient of the Old Testament. Whenever he did that, he would describe it as the sun being dark and the moon not giving us light, and the sky rolled up like a scroll. These things didn't literally happen in the past, but when they did happen, God used that as the spiritual metaphor for the seriousness of His judgment on those nations. It was like if if you take if you destroy the earthly powers of Babylon, that's like. The stars falling from the sky because Babylon ruled over everybody, right? Or maybe it's just a spiritual truth like God's people, Jerusalem, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, you know, um, Isaiah, they're all prophesying the destruction of the temple. Why? Because Israel was going to be, you know, judged for being disobedient to God and brought into exile, right? And so, God uses that same language of Israel because he's... It's covenantal language. It's spiritual description of the spiritual reality using the metaphor of the uh, astronomical heavens, right? So, these are the kinds of things that that when you – when there's a paradigm change in approaching prophecy, you dig in deeper, you'll find a lot of these things that we assume to be literally true or whatever are actually uh, metaphors for – for for the spiritual fulfillment. And so that's sort of the heart of the difference between the approaches, you know, and 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 yeah, that's that's about it. So my novel series, Chronicles of Apocalypse, I take this 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 understanding of wow, this prophetic uh language, what did it mean in their in their world and how would they have understood it applied to them? And so I do have a you know exciting action adventure story of Christians escaping persecution and some Christians not escaping persecution. There was no rapture for the Christians being eaten by the lions, I'll tell you that. And so you know this is the story that I'm telling as the Christians are going through it. Uh, how did they see these prophecies fulfilled to them? And. So, in the end, I've got people who don't even agree with my eschatology, but they still love the series because it's fascinating, it's historical, and it's it's got uh, spiritual warfare in it, too. So, it's entertaining, you know? Right. You've definitely and, done your research on yeah. this. I mean, for yeah, sure. Uh, just go, of course, you know, as we've mentioned before, you're, you're, I think you may be the only person that does footnoted fiction. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would not recommend it, and I, in a way, I always have to like apologize to other novelists because it's sort of like it's almost gauche, you know. It's like, oh my god, you footnote your novels—that's gauche. But it is, it is actually really interesting to go back because I've also gone back and looked a little bit about like the Jewish War and what happened then, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, your 
your whole story about uh, Josephus was 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 right on. You know, and you pulled some little details. You must have done some serious reading of Josephus. I have, and I'm following it as I'm writing so that I get a lot of the details right. Yeah. But I will also admit that I'm following um, a particular scholar's view, uh, uh, Ken Gentry, has written a commentary on the book of Revelation, and it's called The Divorce of Israel. But it's not out yet. Because I'm because I'm a, because I'm his personal friend, I was able. He was kind enough to let me uh, use it as research. So I'm f- closely following a lot of his um, scholarship, and he brings in Josephus as well. So um, I, I'm using his stuff. And you know, look, I, one of the reasons why I footnoted it is because. I'm very aware of the fact that my view is still not well known in today's world among Christians. It's not, you know, heresy because great theologians like R.C. Sproul believe in it, but but nevertheless, it isn't as popular, and everyone knows the left behind thing, and everyone assumes this sort of typical left behind scenario or something like that. And so I realize that when people are reading this, it's going to be so new to them, so original that they might even go. What is he making this up? You know, and and I know Christians like to think they want you know they prove it to me, prove it from the Bible, you know that kind of thing, and I'm I'm okay with that. So I thought, you know what, since this is going to be such a unique story, and 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 I think Christians are going to kind of be demanding to prove it. That's why I decided to go ahead and footnote it and give research. And I didn't just do citations at the back of the book. I actually have chunks of text where I'm I'm sort of explaining and making the arguments for this stuff. So that if you're reading this and you want to go deeper, you oh, you can go deep. As a matter of fact, half of the text is footnotes. I have as much text in footnotes as I have in the novel. Yes. And yes. That's what L- that's literally on the Kindle version, you know, 50 50 yep. percent is actually where your text ends. Yes. So literally half, yes. <laughs> but again, this is all because I just wanted to provide for those who would who would take it seriously and go, I want to know more, or come on, prove it to me, Gadawa, you know? And uh, yeah, that's why I did. So I, I hope to never again f- have to footnote, but I guess that's what it's like when you're writing a theological novel. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you this about, are, do you consider yourself a full preterist or a partial preterist? I'm a partial preterist, and what that means is that's the more orthodox branch, and the the two the two sort of scenarios are this: you know, futurists believe that the the last days are the last days of the earth, and they're all tied in with the second coming of Christ and and the judgment and the resurrection, and preterists are saying no. The prophecies of the last days have to do with the last days of the Old Covenant, but uh, partial preterists say, um, or, or let's put it this way, full preterists say all of it's been fulfilled. Yeah. The second coming of Christ, the resurrection, and the judgment are all uh, these these metaphorical concepts, and that that those are called full preterists, and those are those are heterodox in terms of Christian history, uh, but partial preterists say. No, there is still a second coming. There is still a final resurrection and a final judgment. However, that's all we know about them. We don't know anything about when they when they happen. They are not rooted or connected to the typical thing that everyone's expecting, which is the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist, and all that crap. That stuff was the stuff that happened in the first century. And we could, you know, we could talk about specific examples if you want, but, so, but that's the difference. So if, 
Okay, so the general, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, um, there's the Battle of Armageddon, there's the thousand-year reign, and then there's, you know, the casting out of Satan. Yeah. Satan tries to come back and they cast him out again. Yeah. So 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 are we in that thousand-year reign, or is that still something that is yet to come? I think I think we are. Uh, my view is that a thousand the, years would obviously be a symbolic number. It's, it's a symbolic number, obviously, um, but it basically refers to a long time that the kingdom of God grows on the earth. Daniel said that, you know, in the days of the ancient, in the days of those kings, you know, the the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians and and ultimately Rome and empire, the rock cut without hands, basically the messianic kingdom would hit that statue. And and end the rule of the Gentiles over Israel, right? All those nations were Gentile rulers, empires over Israel. But Messiah would come, and he would bring the kingdom, and that kingdom would grow to be a mountain to fill the earth. So, we are in that growing period. That is, Messiah has come. He is now ruling over all things. The Bible says yeah. this clearly. I'm not making this up. I'm and not- the kingdom of Israel, in that context, equates to the church. Uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, the kingdom of God does equate to the church, but the church is Israel. The church includes both believing Jews and Gentiles. So, it's right. a, it's, it's not this sort of like, oh, well, it's the church versus Israel, and, and, the, and, and the church fought and took, took Israel away from itself, and now we are—no, no, it's, it's just Israel is another word for the church. Church is another word for Israel. So, for example— in the New Testament, the church is Israel. In the Old Testament, Israel is the church in the Old Covenant, see? And so, that's kind of how it works, because the word church, ecclesia, so, look, I'm telling you, I've been talking a lot about this, uh, about these issues, and I'm amazed at how many singular words translated into English have com- have completely miscommunicated uh whole theological concepts that Christians have missed because of the poor nature of English translations. And this is another one of those examples. You know, you read this, you know, they translate the word ecclesia as church, and it created this sort of sense that there's two different entities. There's the church, and then there's Israel. But the problem is, is that the word church, ecclesia in Greek, actually means congregation. So, in, and, and in, in, the, in the Old Covenant, in the Septuagint in Greek, the word was ecclesia for Israel. <laughs> it was the congregation of the Lord was Israel. So in the New Testament, the apostles are basically saying, no, we are the congregation of Israel. Not the, in other words, believing Jews and Gentiles are the congregation of Israel, yeah. not the unbelieving Jews who rejected Jesus. And that was, of course, the scandal uh, because Paul was saying, you guys got it wrong. You thought that uh, that children of Abraham were children of flesh. Uh-uh. Those are going to be judged. It's going to be the children of faith who are the children of Abraham, and that includes Jew and Gentile, right? So, that's sort of the this big picture that is so scandalous to to the, you know, a, a large portion of the Bible prophecy crowd, because they all think that it's all focused around the ethnic or geopolitical Israel that we know of today as if they are God's people. And and the truth is is when the with the coming of the new covenant, that's all been that's all been trans transformed, you know, and and um uh uh if you know like Paul writes about in Romans eleven, you know, if you're a, a Jew and you don't believe 
sorry, you're cut off. You are not Israel. Not all Israel is Israel, right? And so, Israel is not this fetishistic sort of um, uh, people of God, even though they, they all hate Messiah, right? <laughs> you, know, like, you know, the modern Jewish state hates Messiah, they, so, but, but they're not the people of God because if they were, uh, they would be believing in Messiah. And so, with the coming of the New Covenant, uh, yeah, so, so what I'm getting at is a lot of the prophecy teachers, not all of them, but you know, a good portion of them s- still find all this this bi- end times Bible prophecy as focused around Israel as if Israel is the people of God and the church is just this sort of oh we're just a parenthesis until God come until we get back to Israel and that's what it's all about you know and yeah. this there could be there could be nothing more offensive to the new covenant of Jesus Christ than that. That's a very controversial statement. Mm-hmm. You know, because there there that is so loaded in so many ways. I'm not saying I disagree with you because I do agree with you on that. No, it but, is. It but, is loaded but, and I've, but I've it talked to people very, about it. It is very very loaded. <laughs> like a- absolutely. Like, like let's let's be honest. I mean, that was there well, you've got this whole like people will, will call you a replacement theologist. Right. As like a pejorative term. Right. And, and and they're wrong, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, in one sense they are. In one sense, though, you can kind of see the history behind it because sure. you can almost see how that whole thing was perverted to justify anti-Semitism right. and some really right. bad things. Like, you know, Luther would say, and John Calvin, you know, they would say some bad things just to, to justify killing people, you know. <laughs> so. Right, right. Well, well see here's the th- here's the deal about that. Replacement theology. If you want to say the new covenant replaces the old covenant, absolutely. That's what the Bible says. The old in Hebrews, you know, the old is made obsolete and absolutely. the new covenant. That's why I so, always say like if you're going to call anybody replacement theology, well you better include Jesus in there too. Exactly. But what they really mean, what they really mean is the church replaces Israel. Right. And actually that's not actually what my what the I'm I'm a reformed believer and you know basically my view on that is basically reformed and and what what they don't realize is that no we're not saying church replaces Israel we're saying the church is Israel always has been Israel because Israel is the re- true remnant of believers both in old and new testaments true Israel had always been those who believe and that the greater nation at large did not always believe, and God, they they were not God's chosen people. The chosen people were the remnant. And so, in the New Covenant— yeah, That's in the a New better Testament, way of looking at it, I think. Yeah, so it's not a replacement. It's just the church is simply Jews who believe in Jesus, and now God adds Gentiles to that mix, and that's a, that's a change, yeah. but it's not a replacement. You know, it's, it's an expansion, not a replacement, right? Um, so, anyway, if, but, but the thing that you said, I've, you know, I've, I've dealt with this too, this anti-Semitism thing. It's just yeah. absurd because, because basically preterism stresses a very powerful thing, and that is it stresses what Jesus said in tw- Matthew 23 and Matthew 24, particularly Matthew 23. See, Jesus goes through this whole discourse judging the scribes and the prophets, the leaders of Israel, for rejecting Messiah. You Pharisees, you hypocrites, you know, you send people to hell, you're children of hell, right? He's condemning them to hell. And what does he say? He gets down and he says, woe to you, woe to you, seven woes, which is interesting. That's connected to certain uh, things as well. But he says, look, upon you comes 
all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, you whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And all throughout the Gospels, particularly, you know, Matthew, this generation, look it up, this generation, he's condemning them. He says, this adulterous generation, Nineveh will be, do better than you, Sodom will do better than you. Why does he say that? Because you reject Messiah. It's all about, you know, someone greater than Jonah is here, and you didn't believe in Jonah, or I'm sorry, you didn't believe the sign of Jonah, and the sign of Jonah is the resurrection of the, of the Son of Man. And this generation will be judged, this adulterous generation. Who is the adulterous generation? It's the Jews who are unfaithful because they reject Messiah. So, Jesus himself is the one saying, the first century generation that kills Messiah uh, will be judged. How do they judge? How will they be judged? He says it right afterwards. He says, your house is left to you desolate. The house of God was the temple. And he says, not one stone will be left upon another. So, Jesus himself is the one saying the first century generation is going to reject Messiah, and because of that, they're going to be judged, and the temple's going to be destroyed. This is a strong part of the preterist message. So, what happens is, you know, the other sort of future viewpoints say, aha, look at you, you're anti-Semitic, because you're talking about judging, judging, destroying Israel, all this kind of stuff, to which I say, no, we're just talking about the first century. That's the only guilty century. There's no, I'm sorry, not century. The only guilty generation that gets judged is the first generation, that not rejected. any other generation. Right. Nobody right. else. Right. And, and so, really, you know, it's sort of like we are, we are the furthest thing from what would be considered anti-Semitic. Now, if you want to call Jesus anti-Semitic, be my guest. You'll be the one who'll be judged by him <laughs> because he's the <laughs> one who said this, not yeah. me, right? Yeah. But for then for people to then say, therefore, let's persecute Jews, like that has there's no that's called a non sequitur. It has absolutely that has to do with your own prejudice and racism and bias. But it has nothing to do with the view that preterism, which says the first century alone was guilty of killing Messiah, not the other century, not the other generations of Jews, just the first century. That's a very, that's a very, very important. Look, I was, I was public, I was in a debate about some of this stuff, and I was publicly, um, publicly uh, slandered by that very same ac- claim, you know, accusation. This is this, you know, this is not good stuff. But anyway, I think that when people start to see the 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 what's really being said here, you realize, oh no. And so what I like to say in re- in, in reverse is I say, well, you know, the futurists, dispensationalists, they believe that Zechariah 10, I think it is, says uh, no 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 Zechariah, what is it, 12, all right? They believe that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's 13, it's 13. So, they believe Zechariah 13 is about the end, the, the, the last days that are coming in our future, right? And they, and they believe Zechariah is applied to the last days. And so, they read Zechariah 13, 8, and they say, two-thirds uh, in the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish one third shall be left alive. And they believe that has to do with Israel will come back into the land. And then when you have Armageddon and you have the Antichrist persecution, two thirds of the Jews will be killed in this massive destruction, right? And yet these are the same people who are saying, go back to to the land of Israel because you're God's chosen people and the land is your land. And yet they are telling people to go back to a land that they believe 
two-thirds of those Jews will be murdered. So I, I always say, well, you know, actually that's anti-Semitic because you're telling Jews to go back knowing, believing that two-thirds of them are going to be murdered. I'm like, that's pretty yeah. anti-Semitic. Yeah, there's, there is all that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, the whole push for the Third Temple is, is, is kind of like that too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is because it's like and you talked about the um the moving the the you were there when they moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's other motives, but there's definitely a part of that is that there's a, a large base of people that sees that as a fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, I know and and um I got. I got to tell you though that the it's just. I, I just think it's out of control. You know these people with the blood moons and the shemitah and all these false prophets out there, and they're false prophets because I mean they've been saying this stuff. Yeah. You know John Hagee said in 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 2013 that Didn't we just the, have another blood moon just like a few days ago yeah, or something. Well, yeah, because there's blood moons. Blood moon is just basically a lunar eclipse, yeah. and it right. happens regularly. But he said the special event of four blood moons, which is like almost never occurs or whatever. And that was going to happen. And when did all that happen? 2000, 2014, 2015. He said, something big is going to happen. Of course, what he was implying very clearly was that, you know, the, the rapture and the tribulation was going to start and all lead towards the end of, uh, towards the coming of Christ. Right. And, and, and he's a false prophet because obviously nothing happened, right? Nothing but- I th- Nothing happened. I thought as Christians we weren't supposed to be into astro- astrology. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, there, I, it's interesting because you make a good point, you know. Uh, yeah. And the way that a lot of these Christians are talking, it does sound like astrological. Well, it is. Um, it is astrological. Now, yeah, and, and and I do think that there is actually there is some astronomical um, aspects to prophecy in 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 the texts here and there and stuff. But um, but nevertheless, my point is that all these people who are so sure that we are the last generation, we're in the we're in the end times. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. They've been doing this for hundreds of years, and even in my own lifetime, you know, I remember back in the seventies, um, Hal Lindsey, you know, the the biggest end times guy of all time. I mean, he sold thirty five million copies of his late great planet Earth, and his whole message was the end was going to happen in the nineteen eighties. And right. this guy's still around, and people still listen to this guy. He's a false prophet, and people are still listening to him. Hagee's a false prophet. What he said didn't come true, and and they continue to be listened to. This is serious business. Now, it's not just that they're wrong. It's that they are coming out and making these claims, and they're wrong over and over and over again. And what I tell I, I, Christians I think, there's is, a, I think there's a money aspect to it as well. Yes, so. there, sure, maybe, maybe there is. Because, by the way, there is big money in it, the sensationalism. But right. you know what? I don't even have to go into that part because that's always the cynical edge. You know, yeah. I actually believe these guys really believe it. And oh, I, but I yeah. do think. I do think once you get into it, it, it would be hard to get out because you will lose your income. But I don't think they're just doing it for the money. They really believe it. So I, I'm going to give them that. But here's here's the thing, though. It's like I tell Christians, listen, um, these guys go back and read one of their books in the 70s and 80s. And all the details that you hear them saying today, they said the same details, but they applied it to 
all the historical newspaper things that were going on back then. And, and, and they're always wrong, and they've been wrong over and over again. There comes a point where you have to start asking yourself, you know, maybe it's not just that the, the specific interpretations are wrong, and they'll get it right next time. Maybe it's the system that's wrong, because if they're always wrong, always over and over again, maybe you should consider a different system. And that's, you know, that's a suggestion I like to give Christians, to, to consider reading up on preterism, at least read a different view. You might find answers to all these problems that are hounding you, like, why are they always wrong? Why is this stuff, you know, why, you know, Israel becoming a nation in 1948, all this stuff was supposed to happen within a generation, according to them. We're now in two generations and nothing, and nothing has happened in terms of no great tribulation, no rapture, none of that stuff that they said was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I'm, and I'm saying, this should be, this is what helped, this was part of the, even back in the 70s is what caused me to start reconsidering saying, you know, <clears throat> maybe I should at least listen to some other viewpoints and you might find some things that you are astonished to, you are astonished to learn. And sure enough, that's what happened to me. I wanted to ask you about the nature of the Antichrist, mm-hmm. uh, the beast with uh, seven heads, and what and what that means. Yeah. Well, to to start with, First John is the only is First uh, and Second John, I think, is the only place where the phrase Antichrist arises, and this is what. Look, I, I, got, I, I can tell you, we could do a whole show on just single words that have been completely misinterpreted, and the answers yeah. in the Bible. And this is one of those classic things. Everyone assumes the Antichrist. Oh, the Antichrist! It's this individual. It's the Omen, right? It's it's an individual, and 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 he's going to come and do this and all that. But but the word Antichrist is only used by John in, in a couple of his books. And if you go there, you find he defines it not as an individual, but simply as it's basically it's basically like saying anti-Semitic only it's anti-Christian, you know. But in particular, it's those who are against Christ. And so in John writes in First John chapter two eight, eight verse eighteen, children, it is the last hour. Well, that's interesting. The last hour of the last days. Wow, John thinks that they're right in the last hour of where everything's going to happen. And he says, as you heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. And and Antichrist there is not the Antichrist. It's just generic Antichrist, meaning a spirit of, of being against Christ. And he says, so now many Antichrists have come. And then a couple of verses later, he says, he defines, well, what is Antichrist? He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. It's not an individual called the Antichrist. It's simply people who deny Jesus is the Christ are Antichrist. And in John's day, who were those people? They were the Jews who rejected Messiah. So he's saying that the, the, you know he's writing to fellow believers and Jews. Most of them are Jews, not all, but most of them are. And he's basically saying, you know, the Jews who are rejecting Jesus, they are antichrist, and they're going to be judged. So there's no specific individual. Now, if you go to the Book of Revelation, there is the beast, and and that's de- that's definitely for sure. There is a beast and and all that, but um, it's not the same thing as the antichrist at all. Yeah, those are and, often conflated with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I like to point out about the beast, this is another, you know, I'll, I'll go right to this, you know, like, uh, uh, there are so many things that John says that explains the, 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 the text 
the opposite of, of the way we assume it. Before I get to the beast, let me just do a quick one, a quick couple ones here. One is, uh, you know, Revelation 1, John is basically, he's laying out for us, you know, the very beginning of the book, he's sort of saying, this is what this is all about, right? <laughs> and what is the first sentence he says? The revelation of Jesus Christ given to his servants, the things that must soon take place. And that's not the only place in Revelation. He says this about 10 times, must soon take place. The time is near. It's about to happen. It's like, this is a guy who's talking about something that's going to happen in their lifetime. It's not going to happen 2,000 years from now. That language doesn't fit. And so, people, it, it's so it's right there in the text. And it's, you, so, you have to basically come at it and say, well, if I believe this happened 2,000 years from now, then I'm going to have to think, must soon take place is not really soon. He's just, he doesn't really mean what he says. It must mean something later, you know? But, but, but these kind of explicit statements, are they're far more than you realize. Just a few verses down, verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, was on the island of Patmos. So, people go, when's the Great Tribulation going to happen? When's it going to happen? John is writing in, in the first century around 65 AD, and he's saying, I am your partner in the Tribulation. The Tribulation was happening in 65 AD when he's writing it. Right there, he says so, you know? Right. At least he believed it, right? So, these are the kind of things that they're far more explicit than you realize. So, when you get to the beast, there's another classic case where he, John, you know, anyone with a shred of, you know, integrity and honesty knows that, or, or uh, intelligence knows that the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. So, you can't take all this stuff literally. It's heavily symbolic. That doesn't mean it doesn't refer to something. It does refer to something, but it's symbolic. So, when he talks about a beast, it's not a literal beast with seven heads coming out of the sea. That's an easy one, right? But nevertheless, if you understand that, He's talking about this vision of the beast in Revelation 17, talking about what it's dressed of and all this stuff. And then he takes a second and he goes, and he steps out of the vision and he explains to us. Now, I, I want to explain something to you. He goes, verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom, okay? The beast that has seven heads, he says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Ah, it just so happens that in that time period when he was writing, Everybody knew of Rome as being the city on the seven mountains or the city on seven hills. So, my argument would be that Rome, uh, the, the, the beast, is a generic image that's used sometimes of an individual, sometimes of an empire. In this case, he's saying the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman. So, he's saying these seven heads represent an empire, the empire of Rome. And then he says, He's explaining what it means. He's not giving the vision, right? And so, he says, they are also seven kings. Oh, okay. Kings, you know, the word king in the, in, the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, was a generic term for any kind of ruler. It could be Caesar. It could be a governor. It could be a satrap, right? It could be anything. But in this case, the word Caesar actually means king as well. So, my argument is that the seven kings are seven Caesars, but here's where it becomes clear. He says, Five of these kings have fallen, one now is, the other has not yet come, and when he does, he must remain a, a little, only a little while. So, John is stepping out and saying, look, of these seven kings of this empire, five are dead, they're fallen, one now is. Well, who's the sixth king? Who's the sixth Caesar? The sixth Caesar is Nero. 
Nero was the Caesar while John was living and writing. And interestingly, the five previous Caesars were all dead. Nero is the sixth one who currently is in the Greek. It says one, it basically means one now is, and the other is not yet come. As a matter of historical fact, this, when, Caesar, uh, when Nero killed himself and died, the Rome went into a civil war because it was a very traumatic thing. Um, the, the, the Nero had no progeny. He had no, uh, uh, you know, no heritage, no, no children. And so he was the end of the Julio-Claudian line that began with Julius Caesar. So this was huge, right? Because you had to be in the line of Julius to, 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 to become emperor. And when he dies, there's none left. So people were thinking the empire was dead. This is a reference to how one of the beast's heads dies and then it's brought back. In other words, you think the beast is going to be dead. The empire's dead because it ends with the Julio-Claudian line of Nero, but actually it, it's revived again. And what happened is in, during one year, there was civil war and all these men were trying to compete for the throne. And there were four Caesars in one year. Yeah. Year, and, first year of four emperors. Yeah. Yes. The year of the four emperors. And the first one after Nero was Galba. And you know how long he lasted? Only six months. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting? John says, one now is Nero, the other is not yet coming. When he comes, it will be only a little while. That exactly fits the historical world in which John was living at the time. And so there's, a, there's more of these sort of, play, I call them placement markers in Revelation, where he sort of steps out and explains, well, this is kind of what it means, or he places it in the time period that he is. And so, yeah, there's more of those, but that was just a, that was a good example. So I believe that, you know, um, following Ken Gentry's uh, view is that the beast of revelation and gen just generically both the empire or the emperor, depending on who's talking, like when it gets to the, when it talks about the mark of the beast, it says the mark of the beast is the number 666 and it's the number of a man. There so at that point, it's talking about a specific man who, who I believe is Nero. Right. But the, the beast image is a fluid image, but it basically represents the Roman Empire, and then the heads are the are the Caesars, you know, of that empire, and and that the just horns, makes so much sense somehow. to me. Yeah, it does. It really does. And and, and also too, uh, isn't the, the whole thing about the 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 beast will suffer a head wound? Yep. And then will come back to life. Right, and that's what I believe is what happened when Nero got killed. Yeah. They thought the they thought the empire was going to die, but it was revived within a year. Vespasian was emperor, and he started a whole new line of of Flavian, a whole new uh, dynasty of Caesars, and things were okay. Well, they weren't okay, but you know what I mean. Uh, they were okay in terms of they were okay for the Romans. Yes, yes, exactly. They they brought a certain amount of stability back. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so that was the reviving of it, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's amazing when you see the historical connections. It, it makes so much more sense than all the speculation that, that I hear out today about the, you know, well, you know, they, oh, well, the beast is, uh, you know, I don't know who they think, but uh, they think that the harlot is America. That's America, you know? And I thought I, it was I Ronald this, Reagan. Yeah, I thought right. he was the Antichrist. Well, first of all, the beast is not the same thing as the harlot. The harlot rides right. the beast, right? Right. So, you know, I again, I there are so many things that are so clear when you go into the 
biblical background, the very concept of a harlot, I've, I've been telling people this, is like, the, people are saying, who's the harlot? Harlot is Mystery Babylon. They're, they're the same, same thing. It's, you know, multiple symbols talking about the same thing, right? So, the harlot is Mystery Babylon. Babylon is the great city. So, who's Babylon? Is it America? Is it, is it Russia? Is it, you know, Islam? Whatever, all this stuff. And all these people out there saying this. I'm like, if you know anything about the biblical notion of the harlot, the harlot in the, in the, that used by the prophets, the harlot in the Old Testament was only used of Israel because she was in covenant with Yahweh. The word harlot was a reference to spiritual adultery against Yahweh. You're a harlot, right? No Gentile nation could be a harlot because they weren't married to Yahweh. Only Israel was married to Yahweh. So, when you read John reading using that same image that the other prophets used, it always meant Israel because only Israel could be unfaithful to her husband, Yahweh. No other Gentile was married to her. So, now in the book of Revelation, I tell people, the harlot, by definition, biblically, cannot be America. It cannot be Islam. It cannot be anyone other than Israel who was uh, in Israel in covenant, married to Yahweh. And that's why I believe that, you know, the harlot in the book of Revelation is a reference to the first century Jewish religious leaders who led Israel, and particularly the religious ones, because the, you know, the religion was the focus of the faith of of the nation, right? And so, they were the ones who led in this unfaithfulness against Yahweh, and that's why God was judging them. Hmm. Yeah, and the Babylon... It really refers to Jerusalem. Yeah. Babylon is another word for Jerusalem because the premise of Revelation is you see uh, everyone sits and says, Jerusalem can't be the great city. That's what the phrase is, you know, the great city, the great city. You look down in Revelation chapter 17, it says the the woman that you saw is the great city, and that's Babylon. Then they say, well, Jerusalem wasn't a great city, but America is a great city or whatever, or Rome or whatever. And I go, well, this is another one of those cases. Well, guess what, folks? John himself tells us what the great city is. Literally, he tells us this is what the great city is, and where he does that is in Revelation 11, verse 8. He's talking about the two witnesses, and he says they're dead. They've been killed now at this point, and he goes, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Ah, there it is. Okay. That symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. John is telling us Jerusalem is the great city. He tells us right in Revelation. When you're looking for a hermeneutical key, there's nothing more clear than the text itself, and you can't go against the text, right? Yeah. And so, what what I tell people is, and in that verse itself, it also explains to us why he calls Jerusalem Babylon, because he also calls it Sodom and Egypt. So, what he's saying is Sodom, Egypt, and Babylon were the three biggest enemies of God in the Old Testament. Anytime they wanted to, you know, anytime that, you know, Egypt, and particularly Babylon, because of the exile, Babylon was the ultimate enemy of God, right? That's why they go back and tell the story of Tower of Babel, because they believe that Babylon was rooted in Babylon, it was all evil. And so, what John is saying is, Jerusalem, which was known as the holy city, because it rejected Messiah, 
it has become the opposite. It has become the enemy of God. Jerusalem is now called Sodom, Egypt, and Babylon. Why? Because God's going to judge it. So, in other words, God turns, you know, so to speak, he he turns Jerusalem into, not turns, they're already the enemy of God, but what I'm saying is, uh, literally, he's he's calling Jerusalem these the enemy of God because he's going to judge it. And that all makes perfect sense. Are the two witnesses anywhere in history? Are they written about? Um, now, I, I believe that the two witnesses... Um, this is an interesting thing. You know, here we are always talking about Revelation, but I want people to buy my book. So let me tell you, in my books, I actually do have the two witnesses in the first century as well. And I have them as two literal characters. And it's interesting because Josephus actually wrote about one prophet who was in Jerusalem the entire time for three and a half years. Uh, pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem. Interesting. Woe is Jerusalem. And so, it's possible he may have been one. Now, you know, Josephus didn't know everything. There might have been another guy there, and he didn't know about it. So, there may have been two guys, you know. But the truth is, is I think it could have been two literal guys, but it doesn't have to be. I, I suspect it wasn't. But in my novel, I went ahead and made them two literal guys because they're both literal and symbolic, but I think that the text, the whether or not they're literal is not important to me. What's important is the meaning of the, of the symbol, and in Revelation 11, it talks about them. I think it, you know, scholars have pointed out that the things that the witnesses are doing are the things that Moses and Elijah did, so they're, they're symbolic of Moses and Elijah, which is really a reference to what? The law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. So, he's saying the witnesses are the, is the law and the prophets. And why are they witnesses? They are witnessing against Israel because God is going to divorce Israel and perform capital punishment. And But what, what does God's law say? He, you cannot engage in capital punishment unless you have two witnesses. So, God has two witnesses against Israel are the law and the prophets that they rejected because they rejected Messiah and the law and the prophets prophesied the Messiah. So, they are being judged and witnessed by the law and the prophets, that's why they have now become Sodom and Egypt and will now be judged. Does so, that make sense? That does make sense. So, we're going to be dealing with – that's also figurative language. As well. I believe but it, it, it could possibly have been real people. Sure. I, would, yeah. I wouldn't be against it because God can have prophets that come and do miracles. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, in my novels, I actually do have them literal, and I think it's kind of cool because they're going around pronouncing things, and, and you know, you, you know through, my, through the two witnesses, I'm able to explain some of the theology, and they, they have these plagues and stuff. So, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's cool, dramatic stuff, and, and uh, I have that all in the novel, and, and, it's, and I'm really proud of the fact of how where they come from, like the way, look, we don't know where they come from because it doesn't tell us. So, I, I came up with a fictional story of how these characters may have come to be. God calls them, but you know, what, you know, how might, what, what might that have looked like, right? And I'm kind of proud of them. They, I, when I first started the series with the first novel, I did, I, I, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, uh, but I had some ideas. And then as I worked through the story, the witnesses started out as a plot device that I was going to have, but they ended up becoming two of my most interesting characters of the whole series, which is kind of cool. Well, excellent. 
Ryan, thank you so much. Um, was there any questions that you got that you had, Serfiel? Or uh, no, not really. It's just it was real eye opening. I always uh, looking at the Book of Revelation. I was always struck by the sense of immediacy uh, I got from it, and and it seemed strange that people kind of made it more abstract, and it never really felt like it was pointing towards as uh, you know far away in time as now to me. So that uh, yes. Very interesting. I agree. I think th- I think that that's a real common thing, you know. And I think that that if you just read it without preconceived notions, you get that impression, don't you? It's like this stuff's going to happen. It's about to happen. You know, it's coming soon. Get ready. You know, it, the time is near. And you're like, well, it sure. If you just read it on the surface, it sure reads like. This stuff is going to start happening now, you know? Yeah. And so, pe- so people will ask me, well, are you just saying that everything's fulfilled and there's no future? There's no second coming? It's like, no, 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 no. Look, if you go and you read Revelation 20 and 21, you see that that there are a couple things that begin in the first century but end up projecting into the future, right? And and so there is a, a, you know, I think Revelation 20 looks ahead to the great right throne judgment and the resurrection that is yet to come. And I even think that the, the new heavens and the new earth in, in Revelation 21, if you look closely, this is another case where you go, well, what is the new Jerusalem? Is it a literal town? Is it a little city? Is it a literal block and a cube? It's like John tells us what Jerusalem is. In Revelation 21, he says, 21 verse 9, he says, come, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of Christ, of the Lamb. That's obviously the body of Christ, right? And he says, he carried him me away in the spirit to a great mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So, he's telling us that the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven is a metaphor for the bride, the body of Christ. We, the new covenant community, are the new Jerusalem that God prophesied, right? And of course, that began in the first century, didn't it? Obviously, Jesus brought the new king, the, the new covenant kingdom, right? But of course, it only begins in the new in the first century. But that grows to be a great high mountain throughout the earth, and so that, of course, goes into the future. And that, I believe, is is the case there. But it begins in the first century. Well, on that note, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, where can people get the book? Everything's at Amazon. You can get ebook, paperback, and audio, or audiobook. All my books, and I don't just have the the novels. I also have the theology and eschatology. If you want to get the Bible stuff, but it's all at Amazon exclusively. Great cheap prices. I, I recommend it. And but if you want to learn a little bit more about me before you go in, jump into that. My website gadawa.com. Everything's there. You can free stuff, cool pictures, all kinds of extra information you want to learn about it before you dive into it. Uh, go go to gadawa.com. Excellent. Well, stay on the line for us, Brian. Uh, we're going to close this out, and we'll be back to close out the show on you Conspira bet. Normal. All right, let's do this before Rob passes out on us. I'm not Me sleeping. Too. <laughs> You're not <I'm> awake. <laughs> Good. At least you don't have to drive, Rob. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. I just have to stumble to the house. You just got to stumble <laughs> on in and say, "Oh, let's all go to die." <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Rob is a tired man. He 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 works hard. Ooh. He parties hard. He vacations hard. That's right. So well, I made the mistake of eating chicken wings with you, Adam, and having a couple beers. And did that do you in? Yeah, it caught up with me eventually. I think I need to stick to coffee for spare normal nights. 
You could be like Luke and just go get Taco Bell and just. <laughs> he'd always tell me he'd always he'd always make an excuse why he fell asleep but it's just like uh, I had too many carbs man I just had carbicide and, uh, <laughs> carbicide I, I <laughs> <laughs> we need to have like an all metal debate show with uh, with you and Luke um, Sir Phil <laughs> you not down for that not gonna get too heated. Not gonna do it. Would that become, a, would that become a yelling match? Um, guys, thank you for listening, uh, and I want to thank Scott L. and I want to thank Brian Godowell for coming on tonight. It's been a marathon, epic show. Yes, sir. Uh, we're, we're just gonna close it out here. Rob, uh, tell everybody where they can find our Patreon. Yeah, go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Got a lot of bonus episodes and uh, extra content, wallpapers, and, and fun stuff on there. If you want to help support the show, that's a great way to do it and get a little bonus for it. Um, if you don't want to subscribe to anything, you, you can make a one-time donation through our website at conspiranormal.com. And if you want to help contribute to the show but you don't want to uh, spend money doing so, you can also do that just a nice five-star review or you know just tell your friends about us. Man, that was smooth, Rob. I practice that shit. Man. Thank you. You sit in front of the mirror and just practice <laughs> it every morning. On my way to work. Uh, we're going to have an interesting show next time. I don't know quite know how it's going to work out. Uh, but we are going to... I do have it scheduled. Uh, I think the guy's name was Recluse. And we're going to talk about some work that he's done with the uh, Knights of Balta. And just... Various right wing conspiracies, yeah, like P two and stuff like that. Yeah, and we might we we may have uh, Doctor Future either on Skype or in the studio. I'm not quite sure as of this moment that we're hopefully. recording this. So join us, Mike. Yeah, hopefully he can because he's done a lot of research on that as well. So I, I'd also like to get him and uh, Brian together. I was telling him that um, as well that they could they could hash out some. Futurist preterist debate. And the next the next episode is gonna be very conspiratorial. Yes, very much so. Um I gotta get in and review a lot of that stuff. So Yeah, it's really cool. The guy's blog is really awesome. Yeah, he he definitely he definitely knows his shit. And it will be my birthday, so I will be drunk. Yes. Rob will be drunk. Full disclaimer. Um so tell everybody happy birthday. And Rob, uh, your eighties cover band's gonna play pretty soon. You can tell yeah. everybody about that. Uh We've got our normal gig at Twin Cakes 2 here in Nashville on the 16th. And then we're playing a new venue on the 18th down in Franklin, Tennessee called The Pond, which looks like a really cool little bar. So yeah, really so, excited about that. Yeah, if you want to come out and meet up, uh, I know I will be at the Twin Cakes one. Uh, Surfiel probably will be, at, be there as well. So, uh, And Surfiel, you tell them about the Tiki, Valley of the Tiki Beats. Yeah, I've got an instrumental hip-hop album called Valley of the Tiki Beats that's uh, inspired by exotica lounge music. Um, you can check it out at tikibeats.com or it's on all digital platforms. I also have a limited edition cassette tape. Uh, you can contact me for that or uh, go to my social media. Everything is at New Bang Beats. Absolutely, yeah. Check it out, guys. Support Surfio on his music. He's doing a really good job. All right. Uh, that's it. We'll see you all next week on Conspiranormal. Go to sleep, Rob. Okay. Go pass out.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.